Wow. Everybody doing okay? It sounds really loud. Okay, good. <laughs> then you won't fall asleep, right? We're in good shape this week. Dan left me his notes. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm happy about what God's doing. There's a whole bunch of neat things that are going on. And a couple of things that we'll talk about this week. Um, there's a few things I want to share with you that the Lord's really laid on my heart. And a lot of times, most of you know this, but you'll start out in one direction and end up in another. That's not unusual. But uh, I feel real comfortable with a few things we're gonna, that I, I know we're going to get into. We're going to talk about our authority. Um, actually, uh, I don't even know if Sue's still in the building, but we had talked about, uh, um, I'd preached a while ago a message called Unconditional Authority that dealt with the fall of Satan. And we'll talk about some of that and kind of go into more of an in-depth thing there to, to understand our authority over him, uh, some of the struggles, some of the things that we're challenged with. But we'll talk about a whole bunch of different things this week. We're going to look at identity, kind of share some testimony stuff with you. And, and uh, we'll walk through and see what the Lord does. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Anybody ever hear of a threshold covenant? We'll talk about that some. I preached that a while back, but that's something that's on my heart as well. And I think to, to understand, again, I'll never walk in what I have if I don't understand what I have to walk in. Yeah. And I hope that's a real important phrase that just kind of grips our heart. We just, I've got to understand what I have before I can use it. Um, I know that because uh, I've bought a whole lot of electronic equipment that I have absolutely no idea what to do with. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But it's Monday morning. We're going to start with communion here in just a few minutes. Uh, just, just trying to get everything situated. Uh, there's a couple of things that I guess uh, I want to talk to you about that, uh, that I think will make a, a huge impact, a huge difference. Everything in my life shifted about probably 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And... Uh, it was because I saw a transition that I hadn't seen before. And, and that's one of the things that I guess we'll talk a lot about this week is that I believe that no matter what we're dealing with, your perspective is everything. Yes. Your perspective is everything. And one of the big challenges that I have in my life is helping us to see things differently. I really feel like that's a call of God on my life is helping people to see things in a manner that they didn't see them before. So to me, that's a very, very big deal. That, that is a big deal, it is your perspective, seeing from a different view, seeing things differently. And part of that, and I, you know, Jesus uses this phrase a lot, but he says these, like it, John 14 and 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth, right? He that believeth in me, the works that I do, he'll do. Uh, John, Mark 16, he says the same thing, you know what I mean? These signs would follow them that what? Believe. And one of the things that I, I think the word believe we could probably describe in a manner is uh, to, <laughs> to see from heaven's point of view. That we would see from the point of view of heaven. That we would see from heaven's point of view. And that, to me, is a big deal. That's something that we really need to consider. Are we seeing from heaven's point of view? Are we seeing from heaven's viewpoint? That's huge to me. And we ask ourselves some serious questions is, when I'm, when I'm looking at people, do I see what I see or do I see what God sees? When I'm looking at situations, do I see it from my point of view or heaven's point of view? When I'm faced with obstacles, do I see it the way I see it or can I see it the way God sees it? Because that big mountain to me isn't a big mountain to God. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? And there's a whole bunch of things like that. So we'll deal a lot this week with perspective. And, and really, your perspective is everything. And man, we just don't miss that. That's a huge deal. That's not a small deal. That's a big deal. 
Perspective is everything. So even the communion that I hold in my hand, we did communion as a corporate body in the church here yesterday. And, and, and what, what really, I think, speaks volumes to me is that what I hold in my hand we call communion comes from two words. It's common union. We came into a common union with God. We came into a oneness. What's that common union? It's covenant. You know, and I, you guys have been here for, I guess this is probably the beginning of the seventh week, if I'm right. So that means tomorrow will be our halfway point. Just think about that for a minute, okay? But when I, when I hold this in my hand and I think about this, is that you've had communion, I don't know how many times with Pastor Dan, and it usually takes him an hour and a half to get through the communion, so, so you should know this by now, right? Okay, so y'all, y'all got that, right? Yeah. But I think it's an amazing thing, and we hold this and we think about this, and I just want to challenge your thinking with this just for a minute. Every time that I take communion, and Pastor Lori and I went through a long season where we did communion together every day for a long time. Um, and I'll tell you why. Can I talk to you real straight and just be real honest and open? There's so many things that I understand today that I really didn't understand a while ago. And I don't know if that's fair to even say that. I, I, had, I had some understanding, but my understanding has grown. And one of the things that I teach a lot on is the idea that there's truth, and then there's greater truth. Yeah. You know, and what we did before wasn't wrong. We just didn't have as much understanding. But as a, as a young minister, um, I was taught that only, only the, the ministry would, would be able to touch the elements. Did some of you grow up with some of that? We called them the elements even. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and we got kind of twisted on some of that. And I, I, I don't even know where it all came from. But here's a huge phrase, and I'll give you this. I believe that. You know why I believe that? Because people I loved and respected told me to believe that. One of the great challenges that came into my life, and I began to share this a lot, was that we don't necessarily often believe what we believe. We believe what the people who we love and respect told us to believe. Do you understand what I just said there? Because that's huge. I'm going to tell you something. And I say, this, I say this frequently, but whether it's Pastor Dan, whether it's myself, whether it be Todd, whether it be Pastor Rick, Pastor Dave, Ryan, uh, we've got an amazing group of ministry. Lisa Hicks, I don't know if you ever spent any time with her, but oh my gosh, she just carries her own party with her. She is just amazing, right? And there's just a whole bunch of folks here that, that call Harvest Chapel home. And one of the things that I would, I, and I would tell you for any one of them, they're amazing and wonderful and gifted people and they're, they, they, they blow my mind sometimes. But just because one of us told you doesn't mean that you have ownership of that. You get this book out and you search it out and know it for yourself. And then it becomes yours. Oh, please hear that. It becomes yours. And I don't want to be critical, so don't hear this the wrong way. But a lot of people that I loved and respected told me some things that I actually believed. I took ownership of it. I said, oh, I'm going to believe that because Brother Parton said so or Brother Carbaugh said so or W.J. Sedwick said so. And these were old timers that I had tremendous love and respect and still do. So don't hear it wrong. I still have tremendous love and respect for. But once I started searching Scripture, some of the things that I was taught as a young minister, I looked at and thought, well, that doesn't fit for what they said. So now watch, now you gotta decide because you love and respect and you've esteemed these people to a position here, right? And you're looking at that saying, okay, but they said this, but, but, but God's word, the way I'm reading this says this, and now I gotta find out, do I believe what they said or what I'm reading for myself? You understand what I just said? And then I'm challenged as to, well, what I'm reading, am I understanding this right? And I'm searching it out. I'm trying to figure out, do I understand this right? Praying, asking the Holy Spirit to show me. Once God shows you something and you know it came from God, you get to the point where you don't care what anybody else said. Yes. Please hear that. 
Oh, you got to hear that. Because it doesn't matter. And, and I, don't get this wrong, because of all the teachers on the planet, Pastor Dan's one of my favorites. I got, I got him and Bill Johnson. I'm still balancing the two. Okay, <laughs> okay. Because I, and I hold them both in the same esteem, which is pretty high regard. I got to tell you something. But here's the deal. Whether it was one of them or whether it was anybody else, I've heard some incredible teachers say some incredible things. But once God shows me something, I don't care what anybody else tells me. Because now I have ownership because Holy Spirit showed me. Can I tell you something? You're his kids. He wants to show you things. Come on. Jeremiah 33 and 3. What's it say? Most of you should know that. Call upon me. I'll answer you. What did he say? I'll show you great and mighty things that you know not of. But what's the prerequisite to getting great and mighty things? Call upon me. Right? Call upon me. And he said, I will answer you. He didn't say I might. He said, I will. There's a place where you get ownership of this thing, where you get it for yourself because you've been in the book and you've searched it out and you've spent time with God. We're going to talk about some of that today. We're going to look into Joshua chapter 3. It's a little bit off of the message I preached yesterday, but it'll take us to where we want to go. But there's a few things I just want to talk to you about. But even with communion, what I was starting to say is for years, I did communion with the idea that the pastor and the licensed ministers, you could get a deacon to help you out. But, you know, the, the, the average member please hear that all in the right phrase because our mentality was so messed up wasn't even allowed to touch the elements of what we called it some of you grew up with that it's not in the book you know what it is every time we do it what are we doing we're doing it in remembrance of him we're doing it to remember his death to remember the price that he paid to remember what he did so when I hold this you know what I hold in my hand I hold love in my hand I, I, when I hold this in my hand I, I, I'm these things are cool. <laughs> I actually got a, a text message yesterday, and somebody said, I finally realized the wafers are on top of the cup. <laughs> Let's just pray now. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Been taking communion with these for a year here, and they're like, oh, now I know where the wafers are. <laughs> anyway, but, but these are just really convenient. But here's the idea behind it is that there's amazing things to this. This is love in your hand. Remember that I said it's a common union. There's a covenant involved here. God gave his son. And that's why you hold that in your hand. God gave his son. Do you realize how many people don't even have a clue what this is all about? How many people have gone through ritual experience after ritual experience, ceremonially taking communion without any realization of, man, what's this really all about? Some of you might have heard this. I read this a while back. It's an amazing story, but it kind of relates to what I hold in my hand. There was an elderly, it was an older man, and he had worked at a, um, it was a drawbridge, but it was a drawbridge that had a train track across it. And when the boats would come through, the drawbridge would be lifted up. And then when the train would come, the drawbridge had to be closed. Y'all follow what I'm saying? And what was going on was that a boat, one of the big boats had come through, so he had to lift the drawbridge up, and he had his grandson there with him. His grandson was about three or four years old, and the drawbridge was up, and the boat went through, and he's looking, and he can't see his grandson anywhere. And he looks, and the grandson has now climbed inside where the drawbridge is, where all the mechanisms are. And the grandson is crawling around in there, and he says, oh, my gosh, my grandson's in there. I, I can't put the drawbridge down. And all of a sudden, he heard a train whistle. And it was a passenger train with hundreds of passengers on. And now he has to make a choice. If I close the drawbridge, I'll kill my grandson. But if I don't close the drawbridge, 
There's 275 people on that train that are going to perish. What do I do? And he knew what his job was. His job was to protect and keep that drawbridge. So he hit the switch, and the drawbridge closes. And his grandson, who is inside the gears, gets mashed. And 275 people on a train go by, and they're laughing and drinking and carrying on, and they have absolutely no idea that he has just given his grandson. Can you take that on a spiritual plane and realize from our Heavenly Father's perspective, he gave his son, and yet the world goes on like nothing ever happened. I hold in my hand the proof that something's happened. It's the memories. Do this in remembrance of me. I don't know if that impacts you like it impacts me, but man, it speaks volumes to my heart that we would come to an understanding, do this in remembrance of me. You see, every time we take this, Jesus' own words in 1 Corinthians, what's he say? Every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, what? You show the Lord's death, as Paul's words. You show the Lord's death till he comes. Jesus in the upper room says, do this in remembrance of me. Come on, that's what we're doing. We're remembering his death. We're remembering his sacrifice. He paid an incredible price for you and I to become sons and daughters of the Most High God. We've been adopted into the family. I said it yesterday. Never said this before, but I said it yesterday. These are our adoption papers. I love that phrase. <laughs> this really wrecked me yesterday. Like, oh, wow, that was really good. Anyway, <laughs> but, but, but it's real. It's, it's, this is, you've been adopted into the family of God, and here's your adoption papers right here. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us in. We're sealed forever through the blood of Jesus. That's amazing to me that we're brought in because of him. So I want you just to take a hold of that for just a minute and realize this is all about covenant. I know you've heard this over and over. But you hold that wafer in your hand and you realize, man, there's something about this that says I'm his and he's mine. I'm his and he's mine. I belong to him and he's in me. It's amazing. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we think about the price that he paid. He brought us into sonship. I I hope you can hear that real clear. He brought us into sonship. Paid an incredible price for you and I. And I think about that on a regular basis. I think you ought to get what he paid for. He didn't pay for half of me, he paid for all of me. He didn't pay for me to give him a part of my life. He paid for my entire life. So when I think about that, I want to yield my entire life to him. Why would I live halfway for God? Why wouldn't I sell out and go? If I really believe this, if I, if I believe this, we call ourselves believers. Do we believe this? You hold this in your hand. Do you believe this? Do you really believe this is what it's all about? Because if I believe that this is truth, if I believe that he paid this price, if I believe that he gave himself completely for me, why wouldn't I give myself completely for him? One of the great challenges in my heart as a pastor is why we don't sell out on a greater level. See, I'm so convinced that a worship leader should never have to pump up a congregation to worship. (laughs) I just think you ought to come in pumped up. (laughs) I just think that. I just believe that. I just believe that if we really believe the, come on, I hold this in my hand. It's the body and the blood. Come on, that's what it represents. So just, man, with your heart, man, we're just going to look at this. 
Lord, you sold it all for me. You gave it all for me. Is there any part of me that I'm holding back? I think about that when I take communion. Is there any part of me that I'm holding back? Because I so want to go after God with everything. See, I'm convinced. This is a, it's a neat time for me in my life. I, I, am, I can say this. I'm more sold out today than I've ever been, and I thought I was pretty sold out before. I, I hope that registers with some of y'all. But there's a place where we continue to pursue him. So, man, we take the wafer in one hand and the cup in the other, and we realize the body and blood of Christ, he paid an incredible price. I'm convinced he ought to get what he paid for. I'm convinced he, we, he ought to get what he paid for. Wow. Father, I thank you that today you bring us to a common union. You bring us to a place of oneness with you. Jesus, it was the prayer you prayed in John chapter 17. You prayed, Father, that they may be one, even as I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one in us. We come into a common union with you to be one in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, that as we stand before you, we hold in our hand the body and blood. We think of that, Lord, and we, and we realize, God, the cup, the wafer, it, it so means, Lord, the price that you paid to bring us to a oneness, to bring us to a common union, a covenant with you, God. We're in covenant with you. You're in covenant with us. You're a covenant-keeping God. And Lord, as we stand before you today, we thank you for the covenants that you have made with us. Uh, God, we stand today. Oh, God, we so feel the embrace of heaven even right now. As you wrap your arms around us, God, we thank you for covenant. We thank you for the promise. This is the yes and the amen of God. We said we want to be yours, and you said I do, and you gave your son. And God, we've come into a oneness with you, a covenant with heaven. And Father, I thank you that today, today, Lord, we can take that embrace and we walk with that God we thank you for the broken body and the shed blood it means so much to us God it's more than just a ceremony it's more than just Monday morning ritual it's more than oh we got to do that again Lord it means everything it's everything God it so speaks to our hearts today to the place where we just take on that embrace of heaven as we embrace heaven back and we thank you God this is all about love it's all about love it's all about oneness it's all about coming in unity with you and I thank you for what you've done And so today, Lord, as we take this, we just bless the bread and we bless the cup and we thank you for the privilege of being your sons and your daughters. We bless that and we say thank you for meeting us here. As you take that bread and you can just break that in your hand and you think about his broken body. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, said you can take and eat. Go ahead and take and eat. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. It says he took the cup and he lifted up the cup. He blessed that cup and he gave it to his disciples. And you know what he said? He said, this is the new covenant. There's a new covenant. Why? Because it's all about covenant. And he said, it's the new covenant in my blood. It's the New Testament. It's the new covenant the old covenant wasn't sufficient it couldn't clean any man's heart it just showed us what was wrong with us but it couldn't show us how to get right but the new covenant shows us what it is it's through his blood he said it's the new covenant it's in my blood do you understand that it's in my blood I want you to think about the blood that was shed it wasn't spilled it was shed it was intentional it was purposeful he did it to bring us into the family it's our adoption I'm so convinced man he wanted us as his sons and daughters and he came and he gave himself for every one of us. He blessed that cup. He gave it to his disciples. He said, take and drink. 
It's the new covenant in my blood. You can take and drink. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We so remember your death with the price that you paid and what you've given for us. Father, I just thank you for every heart in the room. I thank you, God, for each one that's watching by way of the internet. We just thank you, God, that you're with us right now. And just pray, Lord, that we would never get ceremonial about what we've just done. That it would never become just another ritual, but it would always be, Lord, that it brings us to a place of remembrance of your love, your grace, your goodness, and your mercy. May we always be steadfast in our own hearts, God, as we consider the price that you paid. We say thank you, God. Thank you. You paid an immense price. You gave yourself in an immense way because you would love us that much. We can't even fathom or comprehend in our own mind the joy, the, the, the oh God, the, the wonderful things, Lord, that you have prepared for us and yet at the same time God it's such a joy to walk with you every day draw us in and bring us nearer to your heart God even when we take the communion may it be just one more thing God that draws us nearer to your heart that we might find ourselves looking more and more like Jesus and God we thank you for what you've done we bless you God we thank you we give you praise in the house in Jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. bless the Lord Amen. It's kind of cool when you think about being in a common union with God, right? I mean, that's pretty exciting. The God of this universe, do you know there's over 7 billion people on the planet right now? And yet he knows how many hairs are on your head. That just blows my mind. Especially with some of us, he has to recount every day. (laughs) Some of them just don't stay, you know what I mean? Don't be laughing, Matt. Okay. <laughs> okay. But in that process, man, it's an amazing thing because God knows you. And I want you to think about God knowing you. Okay. Okay. Like there's nothing that goes on in your life that God's not aware of, right? You know that. God knows you. Here's the real question. Do you know you? And that's a challenge. That's a really challenging thought. Because I think the real you isn't defined by what's going on in your life. I don't think the real you is defined by uh, whether you're having a, what we would call a good day or a bad day. You know, we, sometimes we get labels on things like that. And I'm pretty convinced every day is a pretty good day. <laughs> We're going to look at some things to talk about our identity and some things there. I know the whole school's about identity. And one of the things that I'm believing is that we're at the halfway point this week. And as we think about that, I just want you to really consider this because... If we, if we understand, the more I understand my identity, oh, I want to say it this way, and this is, this is really strong, but the idea is, is that my identity, I don't really see myself when everything's going right. I don't, I want to know what I, well, how, it's my natural response when calamity strikes. It's my natural response when things didn't go the way I thought. How do I respond to that? Because there's one of two things. You're either going to react to your flesh or you're going to respond to your spirit. Do you all understand what I just said? That's a big phrase right there. But I'm either going to react to my flesh or I'm going to respond to my spirit. And it's really up to me. And, and, and it's not about my circumstances that are going on around me. I want to know my natural. Can I say this? I don't want to have to think about what should I do here. I don't want to have to wear a what would Jesus do bracelet. <laughs> Come on. Do you understand? If we, if we really understood our identity, if we really understood who we were, we wouldn't need Rick Warren to write a book to tell us what our purpose is. Yeah. I heard that phrase and I thought, man, that's a powerful phrase right there. 
we would know who we are. We would know what we're walking in. We would know what we're walking through. So go with me to Joshua chapter 3. I touched on this yesterday morning some. Actually, uh, I was at a breakfast with Kelly, and one of the guys kind of brought it up there, and uh, Ty Mummert. And it, I just went home and studied on this, and that's actually where some of that came from yesterday. But go to Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to look at the first five verses for just a minute, okay? I want you to see this. Moses is dead, and Joshua is just about to lead Israel across the Jordan, okay? Uh, Moses has climbed up on Mount Nebo. He's been buried by the hand of God. That's kind of a neat phrase. Isn't that kind of cool? Moses is buried by the hand of God. That's what it says. Yeah, on Mount Nebo. I just think it's a neat thing. Buried by the hand. I wonder what that even means, buried by the hand of God. Unless it means buried by the hand of God, right? Anyway, okay. okay. Follow with me because we're going to go here. Watch this. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim, that's Acacia, and they came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and he lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host. And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you'll remove from your place and go after it. Okay? When you see the ark of the covenant. Now, there's several names for the ark of the covenant. What's some of the names for the ark of the covenant? What do you know? The ark of the covenant is called what? Well, the mercy seat's on the ark of the covenant. Okay? But it's also called the ark of the testimony. Okay? Or the ark of his presence. Okay, so there's several things there, but we've got to understand something is that on the Ark of the Covenant, this, this was the symbolic presence of God with Israel. And God told Moses in Exodus 25, whenever he talks about building the Ark, he says, I'm going to meet you above the cherubims that are at the, on the Ark. Okay, so it was the resting place of God. Guess what that means? Yeah. You're the Ark. <laughs> Come on. You're the resting place of God. Is he in you or not? Come on, he's here. You're the Ark of the Covenant now. Do you under, I don't know if everybody gets that or not, but you're the Ark of His presence. You're, come on, you're a carrier of God's presence. Everywhere you go, every place that you enter into, you carry the presence of God. You can't go somewhere and say, well, God, you stay outside, I'm going in. <laughs> okay, I'll pick you up on the way out. It doesn't work that way. You're a carrier of His presence. That's an amazing phrase to me. You carry the presence of God. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you're carrying the presence of God. That has to register with us. So you go into a place where, can I talk to you just real plain? You go into a hospital, and in the hospital room, the people there are incredibly depressed. They're going through a tough place. And all of a sudden, you walk in, and you have the right to change the atmosphere. Because you just brought hope into the room. Do you understand that? You brought hope into the room. Why? Because you showed up. Because you're a carrier of the divine nature of God. We're partakers of his divine nature. You just walked into the room and you changed the atmosphere in the room. I got to tell you something. As a pastor, uh, <laughs> I've had countless numbers of times where there's been two people that are like, and I mean, they're at each other's, I mean, they're in each other's face. They're ready to tear each other apart. And all I got to do is show up. Give me three minutes with them. I'll calm them both down. Why? Because I carry the presence of God with me. So do you. Do you understand that? It's not about a title or a position. It's about the fact that you're carrying God with you. And that happens over and over and over. You go into a hopeless situation and all of a sudden you showed up and there's hope. You go into a, a restless situation and all of a sudden there's peace. I love this. See, that's Matthew 10. Y'all know that's Matthew 10 when Jesus talks to the disciples and tells them about going out. And he says, when you come into a house, let your peace come upon it. 
Y'all familiar with that phrase? It's in Matthew 10, let your peace come upon it. You salute the house, let your peace come upon it. Okay, what's he say there? He's saying, when you walk into a house, you change the atmosphere. Everywhere that you go, you change the atmosphere because you're a carrier of the presence of God. You have the right. See, the atmosphere never dominates you. You dominate the atmosphere. Why? Because what's in you? Come on, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Do y'all understand? So, so I hope y'all getting this, but listen, man, I worked in a steel mill, okay? Eight years I worked in a steel mill in Allegheny Ludlam Steel. I went to a mill. The section I was working in, we had our own division. It was called Heckin Engineering, and, and I worked in this area. Fifty couple guys. I think there was 52 guys that were, that were a part of this one division where I was a part of. And I got to tell you something. Oh, I mean, can, I'll, I'll just talk to you real plain. I, I think I can do that. We're okay. Uh, but here's the deal. I mean, if you've ever been in a steel mill locker room, right, they have pictures of girls. <laughs> They're not dressed. <laughs> And you're okay with that. They're on their locker doors and all these kind of things. And, and, and there's a lot of cussing and swearing going on. And I started working there, and they found out I was a Christian. So you know what they decided to do? Convert me. Because <laughs> that's what they were going to do, right? Because, come on, if, and you've got to understand this, and this is just real life, so I'm going to talk to you real life. But if you've got 14 guys that are really messed up, cussing, swearing, drinking, running, cheating on their wives and everything else, and you come in as a Christian, guess what happens? They're convicted because you're there. Yeah. Come on, there's darkness and light just came in the room. There's a conviction for that. And they feel convicted. They feel like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden now, the, you know what's happening? And I'll tell you what's happening. They're trying to get me on their side. Guess what I'm doing? <laughs> I'm just trying to shine. I just want to shine. So here's the deal. Frank Branch, one of the guys that was there, he was, a, he was kind of a lead man there. He'd run loader for, he'd been there, I think, since, I don't know, Moses. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, but what happened was he, he looked at me, and he says, and they, he says, well, boy, you don't swear, do you? I said, no, I used to. I said, but I don't anymore. I said, something changed. And he looked at me. He said, you're telling me that you never cuss. I said, no, sir. I said, I cussed up until I got born again. I cussed the next day, and then I never cussed since then. And he said, you're telling me no matter what happened, you won't cuss. I said, I don't think so. And here's why, Frank, if it's not in here, it won't come out here. See, I, I have trouble with the Christian that says, well, that just slipped out. I'm thinking, how did it slip in? Do you understand that? I've had a lot of people, because they'll, they'll, they'll say something in front of me that they wish they wouldn't have said, oh, that just slipped out. I said, how did it slip in? That's my phrase. How did it slip in? It should have never been in there. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay? I'm just, that's scripture. I'm a man of the book. So watch this. In the process of all that, and this is real, but Frank says to me, he says, I'll bet before the week's out, I'll get you to cuss. I said, I'll bet you won't. <laughs> he did everything in the world he could to get me to cuss, and he couldn't do it. Why? Because it wasn't in my heart anymore. Do you understand what I just said? By the end of the week, here's what happened. Frank, who's incredibly influential, is telling them he's the real deal. This guy's real. He's got it. He's the real deal. So what happens is now I walk into the locker room. If there was 20 pitchers, now there's 10. Y'all follow what I just said? And people that are cussing, now they're still cussing, but they're apologizing for it now. Okay. <laughs> okay. Pretty soon after a little while, here's what's happening. I'm working down the Burnham building. We, you know, it's, it's all part of that division, but I'm working down the Burnham building. And here comes Frankie Montemuro, and he's tapping me on the shoulder while I'm cutting steel. And I turn around and look. And he says, hey, he says, I don't want to bother you. He said, I just need a couple minutes. I said, what's going on? He says, my grandmother's dying. And I just wondered if you could pray for her. Right? That was the breaking point right there because the line started forming. Next thing you know, Cliff Keck's showing up because him and his wife are having marital trouble. Then, then you got, and it's just one thing after another. 
And pretty soon, you know what's happening? Pictures are all gone now. And, and, and people will cuss with themselves, but they won't now. When I, what was happening? See, you have the right to change the atmosphere. You've got to understand, this wasn't whenever I was 20 years pastoring. This was, I was about three years a Christian. Y'all follow what I'm saying? But everything's starting to change because God is in me. You've got to understand that he's in you. You are a carrier of his presence. Everywhere you go, you're carrying his presence. Now, here's the deal. You have the right to dominate the atmosphere because of who's in you. Why? Because it's his atmosphere. He made it. <laughs> Come on. So we have the right to take back. It's just, the only reason this stuff's out there is because Satan tried to take what wasn't his in the first place. So all we're really doing is taking back what the devil stole. Yay! <laughs> you can get excited. It's Monday. You, you wait till Thursday, man. I'm going to be fired up. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but here's where we're at. I want to catch this. Joshua says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant go before you and the priest, come out of your houses and go after it. That's what he's saying. Okay? I love this. <laughs> see, when I read this, this I, I read stuff maybe different than a lot of folks, but I read this. Watch this if we read this. When you see the Ark of the Covenant, which is also called the Ark of the Testament, the Ark of what? His presence. Right? When you see, so I'm going to say it like this. When you see his presence... Okay? Remove from your place. That means come out of your houses, okay? And go after it. You know what I believe that said? Be a God chaser. Come on, that's what I read. When you see his presence, go after it. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm going after his presence. See, what I want more than anything else is I'm going to be a carrier of his presence. Everywhere I go, I want people to get freaked out because I'm there. (laughs) I hope that makes sense to you. Who's read Tommy Tenney's book, The God Chasers? That was a big thing several years back. So if you're old like me, you probably read it. Okay, some oh, young people read it. Holy smoke. Yay. <laughs> okay, but here's the deal. That's an amazing book. I love the idea, and I don't know if you read it, but in the beginning parts of the book, it talks about how people were coming into the church parking lot and they couldn't even get in the door. They were falling out in the, par- in the parking lot. Because what? The presence of God. I want that. I want that. I so want that. I'm so convinced. Well, I don't know. How many of you heard of Charles Finney? Y'all heard of Finney? Finney was a, a huge big-time revivalist. He walks into a sewing factory. There are 300 women working in the sewing factory. There's all kind of noise and things going on. And Finney walked in, and all of a sudden, the whole place got quiet. 300 women got quiet? That's God. Okay. <laughs> That's just God. I don't care. It's God. Okay? And here's what happens. They get quiet, and they turn and look. Why? Because there was a presence that came into that factory that had never been there before. If any can get it, so can you. So can I. Do you understand what I just said? Anybody ever hear of an old man named Clarence Seymour? If you ever read about Azusa Street, which is probably the greatest revival to hit the United States, Clarence Seymour is the guy that started that. But the presence of God that was on his life was amazing. And he impacted a nation when we were still, uh, when, when we were still, de- de- we, were, we were in turmoil o- over blacks and whites and all the kind of things. And, and here's a black man impacting a white world. It was amazing. But God was up to something. And the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the deal. He put an orange crate, he put his head in an orange crate and prayed for three hours a day. Now, I'm not suggesting putting your head in an orange crate, okay? But if it works, <laughs> no, no, never mind. 
I, I'm not even sure. I think he just did it for no distractions. I think it was what it was really all about. And I'm not real sure about all that stuff. Because I've just pictured a whole church with heads and nerves. It just doesn't work for me at all. But here's the deal. It's about getting away from everything else and every other distraction. And spending your time with God and really getting with heaven. Because I'm going to tell you something. The more you get with heaven, the more heaven's going to get in you. But it impacted a whole nation. I'm simply challenging you with this idea, and it's, it speaks to my heart in volumes. When I read this, he says, go after the presence. That's what I read when I read that. Go after, if you want to know who you are, if you want to impact your community, if you want to change your family, if you, want to, if you want to see revival in your lifetime, go after the presence of God, because that's everything. That's everything. Can I say this? I don't care what car you drive. I don't care what house you live in. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. Because you know what? Cars, houses, and money are temporary. And you can lose them all in a week. Come on, man. Come on. Last week, my wife called me. She says, have you seen the news at all? I said, I really haven't. And she said, President Obama was on today. And he said, if they don't lift the debt ceiling by August the 2nd, the United States is going to declare bankruptcy. (laughs) And I thought... Hmm, wonder what that means. So I didn't know what any of that meant. And I said to her, I said, what, what exactly do you get from that? She says, well, I think the whole country would be in turmoil. I said, honey, you better go down to the bank and get all our money out, both dollars. <laughs> yeah, get both dollars. See, here's the deal. I don't understand all the economy stuff. I don't understand all these kind of things. Here's what I understand. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you know what? That impacts me more than anything else. Jesus is Lord. Now, here's what I believe. I, didn't, I, don't, I don't have a life. I gave it to him. It's not my life to live. So here's the deal. If I see this and I read the scripture right, what I'm reading is this. Go after the presence. So about, about 11 years ago, my whole life changed. I, now, you understand something. I'm pastor now about 28 years. So 11 years ago, I'd been already pastor in 17 years, if that makes sense to anybody. But in the process of that, I had a huge transition in my life and some things that took place, and I began to see through a different lens. And that's been the call in my life is to help people see through a different lens from that point on. And what I believe, and when I read this, this is a key phrase right here, go after the presence. Go after God. Be a carrier of his presence. Watch the next two verses because they mean everything, Okay. He says, there'll be a space between you and uh, about two. He says, keep a half a mile, okay? Keep a, that's what it says. There'll be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, about a half a mile. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore, okay? They're about to cross over into something that God has prepared for them that's different than anything they've ever seen before. Everybody see that? This is different than what they've ever experienced before. They're about to experience something they haven't experienced in the past. What becomes major right now is that we understand that in the church today, we're walking in uncharted territories. We're about to pass into something we haven't passed into before. And you know what happens is sometimes we're reluctant to change. God's wanting to do something new, and yet there's things that will hinder that. Okay? The things that will hinder that is our reluctance to letting. 
Because God won't do it without our permission. Some things. Some things God will. But some things God's waiting for us. See, one of the greatest things I found in the church today is this. is We're here saying, God, we're waiting on you. And God's in heaven saying, <laughs> I'm waiting on you. And I got more time than you got. Okay. <laughs> okay. Sometimes we have to take this step. And I'll show you that in a little while. But watch this. This is huge to me. Because what God's saying is, wait a minute. He said, he's speaking through Joshua and he's saying, listen, here's what, we're about to walk into something we haven't walked into before. We're about to experience something we've never experienced before. You haven't passed this way before, okay? And I believe that there are times when God wants to do something new and, and yet we're reluctant to change. When I was in Battle Creek, I went to Battle Creek and the church there had been kind of tore up and I got there, there was about 40 people going to the church at the time when I went there. And out of the 40 people, four of them were deacons. And I found the problem. The church was deacon possessed. <laughs> and every time God wanted to do something, at least two of them would get together and fight it. I believe that sometimes we've so tied the hands of God because we've been reluctant to change. You never change for the sake of change. You don't just change something because you want to change. But when God wants to move, there has to be a place where we're willing to let him. Joshua said, you're about to inherit something you've never inherited before. You're about to cross into something you've never crossed into before. And the only way you're going to do that is you're going to have to follow the ark of his presence. Y'all follow that? Anybody, anybody been here when Henry Groover was here? Henry Groover is like scary amazing. I love this guy, okay? And I know there's people out there that don't, that don't care as much for Henry as I do. I just, I find him as a, a father, a, a father's heart. I just, there's some things, because I've spent a lot of personal time with him, and I've seen his heart. He's a pretty amazing guy. And one of the things that really touched my life was this. Um, he had flown into, I believe it was Colorado, and I, if, I'm, if I'm not getting all the locations right it really doesn't matter the story still stays the same geographics may change but I believe it was Colorado that he had flown into and he was in a hotel and the Lord laid on his heart to call an old friend of his and the guy kept rising up in his heart so Henry called him and uh, the guy said Henry Henry started talking to him and and he said I'm really I'm really surprised you called and Henry began to talk to him. And basically what the guy was doing was saying, thank you, Henry, for being my friend. But I, it's a good time for me to say goodbye. And the, Henry said, man, don't do anything crazy. What's going on? He said, well, he said uh, he started telling him all the things that were wrong in his life and everything that wasn't going well. And Henry, Henry started trying to talk to him, started preaching to him. The guy hung up on him. And the, Henry prayed for the guy, and the Lord said, you need to go to him. Well, Henry had no idea where he was, where he lived, or anything. And he said, Lord, how would I even find him? The Lord said, I know where he's at. He said, get in your van. So Henry went and got in his van, because he had a van that he was using at the time. And he got in his van, and he began to drive. And the Lord told him, go down this street. So now he's driving, and he's getting directions from God. This is a scary story, but I'm telling you, we can live in this. I want you to understand this. He's driving down the road, and he felt like he should turn left, and he turned left, and he lost his peace. He said it was like all the peace just came out of the van. 
And he said, Lord, did I turn the wrong way? Turned around and went right. What would have been right, all the peace come back in the van. And he's driving. He gets out, and I won't get into the whole story because I don't have time, and I probably couldn't tell it like Henry could. But he gets out in the middle, and he is now in a, you understand, he's in a strange town in a strange location, and all he's doing is following his peace and allowing the Holy Spirit to give him direction, and he's hearing God the very best that he can, and we all know, come on, let's be real, sometimes hearing God can be a little, little staticky, and he's driving down, and he gets out into a, a woodsy area, and the Lord told him, pull in. There's a driveway there, and he's got a tremendous peace to pull in the driveway. Pulls in the driveway, and there's a house with no lights on. It's after midnight. It's like, it's just a, a few minutes after midnight, right? It's a few minutes after midnight. And he says, go knock on the door. And he says, there's no lights on. Nobody's up. And the Lord says, go knock on the door. And Henry says, but what if it's not the right house? Come on, it's midnight. It's midnight. It's dark. And you're going to show up there and say, I think God sent me here. <laughs> okay? So watch this. He goes up and knocks on the door and nobody answers. And he's relieved that nobody answers. He's knocked on the door. The Lord says, ring the doorbell. He... <laughs> He rings the doorbell. Nobody comes. Henry says, okay, there's nobody here, Lord. I've missed you. The Lord said, try the doorknob. It's after midnight in the backwoods in Colorado. Are you walking into a strange person's house? Come on. Reaches down, grabs the doorknob, and the doorknob will open. It, the door will open. And the Lord spoke to him real clear. I said, Henry, go in. He opens the door and he yells. And he calls the guy's name out. He says, it's me, it's Henry. It's me, it's Henry. No answer. Now, Henry's got pictures of a man coming down with a shotgun who doesn't know him, right? Because he's yelling. And he's yelling, is anybody home? It's me, it's Henry. It's Henry Groover. I'm here for, and he says the guy's name, right? Still, watch this. No answer. The Lord says, go in. It's a bi-level. If you walk in, you know, you either go up steps or down steps. The Lord says, go in and go down the steps. So he goes in, he starts going down the steps, and he yells again. And the guy answered him from the bottom floor. And he's sitting there with the shotgun, ready to take his own life. And the Lord intervened. And I can tell you the story there is amazing because at that point, the guy yields his heart, cries, gives it over to God, and today is still serving God. And Henry just told me his story. So, I, you know, it's only been like a couple months back when he was here. I read that and I think, God, you're amazing. God, you're amazing. Is there a place where we could get to that? Absolutely. Because watch this. Here's, and this is what so speaks to my heart. And I want to speak to you this way. My thought is, if it's available for Henry, it's available for you. It's available for me. We can live there. We can walk this thing out. This, if it's available, then why wouldn't we? Watch this. He says, pursue his presence. God's taken us someplace we haven't been before if we'll go after it. But if you don't believe it, you're never going to. This is what I started to say in the very beginning. If I don't believe it's available, I'm never going after it. If I really didn't think that God could heal the sick, I'd never pray for the sick. If I believed God could heal a headache, but he couldn't grow out a leg, I'd pray for people with headaches, but I'd never pray for somebody with a leg cut off. But I'm to the point now where I actually believe we're going to see creative miracles and legs are going to grow out. But we'll never see it if we don't believe it's possible. Why? Because we'll never pray for it. See, I'm really flipped out because some of you know, and, and in the next school, one of the teachers that we're going to have is Bob, and, and, and Bob's an amazing guy. And, Bob Hazlett, I'm sorry. And, and, and Bob is going to be teaching. But when he was here the last time, how many remember some of the prophecies? He prophesied over the house. He said, we're going to see the dead raised. Amen. Yes. He said, we're going to have to change the carpet because they're going to be dragging people in. 
<laughs> and I'm anxious, man. I'm pricing carpet now. Okay. <laughs> I want a good deal. Because <laughs> I'm convinced if that's, come on. And again, watch this. Now watch this because this is huge. We'll never go after what we don't believe is possible. But if we believe it's possible, see, if you really believe it's possible to see the dead raised, you'll pray for the dead to raise. But if you don't believe it's possible, you won't do it because you'll think you're wasting your time. If you believe it's possible that an arm can actually grow out and reform, you'll pray for people that have a, have a half arm that have had an amputation. I'm pretty convinced God can do anything. I get kind of excited about it. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. I don't know where it's at. Help. Okay, no problem. But here's the deal. We'll go after. We'll only pursue what we believe is, is ours to pursue. That we'll only have what we believe we can have. If we don't believe we can have it, we're not going to go after it. Go ahead. I just want to hit one thing. You were talking about being able to hear God like he did. And, and, and that can change an individual. But it can also change and bring a marriage. Oh, absolutely. Because Anthony and I, we started, our friendship started with that. Okay. We, 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 we really didn't date. We're married now, but we were, we found something that was a, a common denominator. We really relied on Holy Spirit speaking to us and telling us what to do. Okay. And we, we practiced and stretched ourselves purposely to hear him. We'd get in the car. Anthony had this thing. He'd get in the car, hit, hit left, right. We call it left, right with Holy Spirit. And we'd get in the car and Holy Spirit would tell us, left. he would drive and he'd say, which way? And we would hear, or I would hear, left, or he would hear, right. It would be a team effort. And mm -hmm. it really brought us into our relationship that brought us into the sweetness of getting married. Cool. Because we didn't really date. But then in the marriage, we have it got up that ante immediately mm -hmm. by stretching us even further to, to make our, any decision through the day, all day, every day. And, and even um, life-changing things. But the, the, the fun in that is when you go, get in the car with your husband or your friend or your uh, whoever as a team or as just doing it to, to learn it, the, the, the goal is, is the gold, the gold, the precious gold, not gold, gold, is there's the treasure of, it begins to be like a treasure hunt that, that not, and don't go after the treasure hunt, go after Holy Spirit. But the fun in that is, uh, the end result is you end up praying for somebody, you end up going somewhere, you may just end up doing ice cream, but the obedience in it is precious and priceless. I think there's a real key to that. There, there's a place where we walk out obedience to the best that we know how. And as we continue in that, we keep, we keep flowing in that vein. And what I, what I would tell you is, I, I believe this, and I pray this way. I pray this way a lot. I pray, Holy Spirit, give me a greater sensitivity to your voice. Let me hear your voice. And here's the neat thing. I don't know how this works for all of you. I'm going to talk to you real, uh, you, you'll find out. I just, uh, I'm kind of straightforward. But for years as a pastor, I would pray, I would pray and I'd pray Jesus, I'd pray Father. I, I never for years prayed to the Holy Spirit because it seemed foreign to me to pray to the Holy Spirit. But now I talk to the Holy Spirit all the time. And I find that's a pretty good idea. Now, it may or may not work for you, but it does for me in an amazing way. So I'm like, Holy Spirit, just give me a greater sensitivity to your voice. Because I believe this, if I'm going to talk to him, I want him to talk back. <laughs> if he talks back, I should hear what he's saying. To me, that's an important thing. So watch this. In the process of this, here's what's happening is, he's saying, 
I want to take you someplace you've never been before. But read verse 5 because it's the key to where I was trying to get to in the very beginning of this. It says, and Joshua said unto the people, sanctify yourselves. Now, you've got to understand that sanctify there means to set yourself apart, right? Now, watch this. Sanctify yourselves because tomorrow the Lord's going to do wonders among you. But watch this. If you want God to do wonders tomorrow, you've got to sanctify yourself today. Ta-da. Okay, okay. If you don't set yourself apart, see, we want to see the wonders, but we don't want to pay the price. Remember that I talked about Charles Finney walking into a, a, a room and everything got quiet? Isn't that amazing? But he paid an incredible price to have that kind of power. See, we want the power, but we don't want to pay the price. We don't want to sanctify ourselves. We want to, we want to oh, I'm going to say this the wrong way, but we want, well, it seems like sometimes we want to live just good enough I'm, th- I'm convinced if, we're, if we really believe this thing, let's sell out. i, I got to tell you something. You'll never have to wonder if I backslid or not. If I'm not going to live for God, you will know it, okay? Because I'm either all in or all out. I'm just that way with everything in my life. I'm either 100% in or 100% out. I, I don't even understand this idea of somebody trying to live with one foot in the world, one foot in the church. You know what I mean? That doesn't even make sense to me because I think that would hurt because I, 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 I think the two are getting farther and farther apart, okay? I really believe that. That's like crazy to me. So watch this in the process of that. Because some, the Lord told me about three years ago, I was preaching right in the middle of a service, and the Lord really spoke to my heart. Yeah, sometimes, does this work for you this way? That Sometimes God just gets real clear. Like there's sometimes where God, you know, is that, you know, and you're trying to, like, is that really, and you're trying to get for, and then other times it's so crystal clear, there's never any doubt. But about three years ago in the middle of a service, the Lord told me the dividing line is becoming more and more defined. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering to me or you're scattering from me. But that line is becoming more and more defined as we go. That's amazing to me. When I read this and he says, sanctify yourselves because tomorrow I'm going to do great things among you. And I preached this yesterday, but it's a real big thing to my heart right now. It's that if we want to see the wonders tomorrow, we've got to set ourselves apart today. We've got to know who we are. That to me is a huge phrase, that you know who you are. You've been in a school now about six weeks, and you've covered identity, 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 identity. Why? Because I need to know who I am. Here's why. Because if you don't know who you are, somebody else will tell you who you are. Somebody else will tell you who you are. If you don't know who you are, somebody else will tell you who you are. And I don't want somebody else telling me who I am. I want to know who I am for me. I'm not going to allow my destiny to be determined by another person. I'm not going to allow my purpose to be defined by somebody else. I'm not going to allow somebody else to tell me my place. You know what? It's here. I've got to know who I am through this book. I've got to know my destiny. Watch this. If you don't know who you are, nobody else will know who you are. Do you understand what I just said? I'm such in a place right now where I I keep saying this over and over because it's a really big thing. But I honestly believe that God is raising up a model for the next generation. Because we've got to become the real deal. We've got to become the model. We owe it to the kids that are coming behind us. We owe it to the next generation to be a model before them. I was sitting right back there. Uh, if you go to the right side of the sound booth, the second row to the back, and I was sitting back there. We were in the church about three, probably not even three weeks, probably two weeks. And we just moved into the building, and I was sitting back there, and my heart was really moved. 
And I just was looking because, frankly, I don't know if many of you know the story or not, but Pastor Lori and I started Harvest Chapel in 1997 in the little plaza that you pass on the way coming in. As you come up the driveway, there's a plaza there, and one of those, one of those places is the uh, Eastern Adams Regional Police Department. And that's where we started Harvest Chapel, in that little plaza. And there was a handful of us, and we were having a great time. And it was fun. And we'd gone through what we felt was a tremendous crisis in our life, and we weren't real sure what all God was doing. And you know how you can just go through that area of confusion and what have you. And a bunch of people would come and ask me actually to start a church, and that's how we ended up starting Harvest Chapel. And I won't get into the history of all that right now. But we were in the little plaza. And then a few years later, the Lord laid it on our heart to, to, to buy the property up here. And I knew we couldn't buy the property up here. We didn't have any money. There's only a handful of us, and no bank on the world was going to give us money. But the Lord laid it on my heart, and I said, Lord, we can't even do that. And it's okay. I said, I'll go to the bank. If, they, if a bank decides they'll give us the money, then I'll know it's you. And I, I thought it was going to just. I was perfectly content to stay in a little plaza with a handful of people and just be completely happy and pastor some people and get a chance to love on them, preach truth to them. And we're down there in the plaza, and uh, we started going to a couple banks, and I went to a couple of the local banks right here first. I went, you know, at that point it was PSB. Now I think it's called... It went PSB, then Community, Susquehanna now, and, and they, they wouldn't give us any money. And, and, and uh, Adams County National Bank, I went and saw Jim over there, and, you know, said, well, and he said, well, Don, you know, you're a young group, and, uh, you know, it's just trying, and they've all been very, very kind, but they're not going to give us any money. And we went to see Jim Gibson, who at that point was the president of Commerce Bank, and happened to know him through Lori and a couple of different things, and she was working at the bank, and she said, why don't we talk to Jim? And I went down, I sat down with him, and he heard my heart, and he picks up the phone, and he calls his chief lending officer, uh, uh, Steve Weldy, and he says, Steve, I got a guy in here I'm sending over. He said, uh, his name's Don Wallabaugh, give him anything he wants. And I'm like, <laughs> it blew my mind. I said, God, maybe you're in this. This is cool. <laughs> the reason I say that is this. As we were down there, we, we, we came up here. We built a building over there in 2002. And then we built this building a year ago. I'm sitting in that seat in the back. Never saw any of this coming. I guess that's what I was trying to say. Never had any idea what God was up to. But sitting back here in the, in the chair in the back back there, and I'm just looking, I'm saying, God, you're, you're amazing. I'm, I, I just can't even imagine the plans that you have. And the Lord started just, and I don't know if you guys deal with much of this, and just hear my heart in this, but sometimes the Lord will show me a vision of the future. I call it an open vision, and I hope you understand that. And I'm, I'm not really weird. I'm not flaky. Well, I'm a little flaky, but, okay, but it's not my fault, okay? But, but here's the deal. I'm sitting back there. And the Lord's just, and thousands of people. And I realized at that point, I realized that long after Pastor Lori and I are gone, this building will still be here and people will still be ministered to that won't even have ever heard our name. And I'm okay with that because it's not even about my name. It's about his name. But in the process of that, thousands of people coming through the doors and different things. And the Lord told me, and I thought it was one of the most amazing things. And he said, when you're an old man, you'll be sitting back here listening to preachers that are sharing their heart with a message that you've never even heard yet, going, oh, that's really good. And it's from a generation that has yet to be born. And that's so messed my head up. <laughs> I, I, it's so messed my head up. 
from a generation that has yet to be born. Now, that was last year. So I started thinking about that, actually, and that kind of, that really grips my heart because, you know what, like some of the, some of the teens that are here now, some of the young adults that are here now will have children who will come on, and they'll come into an understanding and grow up in an understanding that I'm just now getting, and you know what, what will happen is, and please hear this the right way, but I'm preaching stuff today that my mentors, whenever I was 20 and 30 years old, never would have even thought about hearing, right, because the revelation and the understanding that we have today is very, very different than it was 25 years ago, but watch this, you realize 30 years from now, come on, 30 years from now, I'll be sitting back there, and the kids that are just now being born will be standing up here, and the understanding that they have, and, the, and what's in their hearts, and I'll sit back here and go, oh, that was really good, okay, <laughs> isn't that amazing, but here's the deal, we've got to set the model for them, because their destiny Their future and everything that they're, that they're created for, we want to lift our ceiling so high yeah. that they have the best possible floor to start from. Yeah. Oh, that's a good word right there. That's a good word. Let's push the floor. Let's push their, their floor. Our ceiling's their floor. You know what I mean? If we can push our ceiling higher and higher, they got a better floor to get started from. Yeah. See, I'm convinced we got to model this thing before them. It's up to you. Wow, I get excited over this stuff. See, I, I got this incredible passion for kids. So I watch these kids, the, the young kids, the little kids, the teens. I'm really good with kids. It's adults I struggle with. Okay, <laughs> okay but kids are great. No, I'm just kidding. But in the process of that, when I watch them, do you realize how fun it is to pour into them? Because they're not all messed up already. Like, that's amazing to me. I had one of the, one of the kids that were in the, in the, we did youth camp here in the building last week, and that's why there were so many children around. There was 47 first through sixth graders, and they came on Monday, and they went home on Friday. And we celebrated when they came on Monday, and we really celebrated when they went home on Friday. <laughs> but, but, but we had a blast with them, right? Okay, it was a good time. In the process with that, uh, one of the dads was there one night, him and I were talking, and he was saying how the neighbor lady had come out of her house. And she's an older lady, and she was really in a lot of pain. And he had gone over and, and kind of helped her, and the kids had seen that. And, and uh, the next day, the daughter that was living with her came out of the house, and she's very tearful. And his little daughter, probably I'm going to say eight years old. I'd say she's probably about seven or eight years old. She come to him, and, and she walked over, to the, and the lady, the, the, this would be the daughter of the mother. Now, the mother's 80, so the daughter's like maybe in her late 50s, right? You follow what I'm saying? And, and, and the, 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 the daughter, the 55-year-old's crying, and the little girl walks over, and she says, what's going on? And the, 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 the 55-year-old is explaining to the eight-year-old what's going on with her mom, and her mom's not doing well. And the little girl reaches up, and she says, can I take your hands and pray for you? And the daughter looks at her, and she said, I would love that. What I'd love even more is, could you come in and pray for my mom? Right? So now the dad goes with her, and they go in the house, and the little girl puts her hands 
on the mom and prays this prayer of authority. He said, it's not a long prayer, but this is an incredibly powerful prayer. And she's commanding sickness and disease to leave and for God to restore and make whole. And, and Jesse's the dad. It's, it's, it's McKenna. Some of you know McKenna Fieser and her, her dad's Jesse. And Jesse's standing there with tears running down his face because he's watching his little girl pray this incredibly powerful prayer. And to me, that so messes me up because she's eight. She's eight and she's got it. Imagine when she's 38, what God will do with her. But here's the deal. We've got to be the model for that. Teach us what this thing looks like. It's got to become real to us. I get so moved in my heart. So here's the deal. Set yourself apart today because God wants to do amazing things tomorrow. But God can't do the amazing things he wants to do tomorrow if we're just going to live haphazard lives. See, one of the greatest frustrations I have, and I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I don't know any other way to say it than this. We've raised up conference junkies. Nothing wrong with going to a conference. Please don't hear it wrong. But I go to some of these conferences, you see the same people going here, there, here, there, here, there, here, there, here, there. And, and, and I don't want to say it the wrong way because I'm glad for people who are pursuing the presence and they want God. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I can tell you something. And please hear this the right way. You've got a man that's holding a conference who has dedicated his life, set himself apart, really seeking God, praying, fasting, going after the heart of the Father, pouring himself into the Word, doing everything he knows to do to, to, to really gain this thing and, and really become more and more like Jesus. And then we want to live a, a, a half-hearted life, but run to a conference and get some man to put his hand on us because we believe that impartation will come and we'll get everything he worked all his life for. That's nonsense. Please don't hear it wrong. Nothing wrong with impartation. Paul even talks to Timothy and says, I want to come and lay my hand on you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, right? He, he speaks that in a couple different places. But I can tell you something. If you choose to live a half-hearted life, and you're going to go sometimes after God and sometimes after the self and sometimes after the world, and you're just going to pick whatever you want to do, and today was a good day, but tomorrow, eh, and whatever, and just live this kind of lifestyle and then expect that some man or some woman's going to lay their hands on you, and you're going to get everything they've that they've, they've poured themselves in for it's not going to happen. That's the spirit of duh, okay? Okay, Because it's not going to happen. Now, what I do believe can happen, because I do believe in impartation, is a man can come lay hands on you, and the power of God would come upon you. And I believe in impartation, so don't take away from that. I believe there's something to it. It's in the book. If it's in the book, you've got to believe it. But what does that really look like? I believe that that can begin a catalyst. That can be a catalyst that will so stir your heart and cause you to have a hunger to go after God. But listen, to understand anything, if you don't understand anything else I say all week, understand this disciples are followers of Christ and disciple comes from the same word as discipline if you don't have discipline in your life you are not going to carry this thing you can't live a half-hearted life and expect that the power of God's going to flow through you. There's disciplines. That means you're praying, you're studying, you're, you're in the Word, and, and, and you're living this thing, and you're walking it. You can't live to Monday for Jesus and Tuesday for yourself, and then Wednesday for Jesus and Thursday for yourself, and Friday and Saturday for Jesus, and you better live for Jesus Sunday because it's Sunday. Come on. You can't just live that way and expect the power of God to flow through you. Will it happen once in a while? It may. Even a blind squirrel will come across a nut once in a while. Okay, okay. But but here's the deal, okay? You gotta you gotta walk this thing out. 
It's real. And there's a place where we discipline ourselves and we walk after God and we come after his heart. I can tell you something. I've had some incredible men around me and I get them all to pray for me. They don't leave without praying for me. I think I had David Ogan pray for me about six times. Because <laughs> I've never seen the dead raised, but I believe they can. And if you have, I may, I may not understand all your methods. I may not understand all your things. I, I might not even understand all, your, uh, all the phrases you use. <laughs> well, you're wrong and I'm right. See, I, just, <laughs> I, I like some of that stuff, but I wouldn't say it. Okay? <laughs> but, but here's the deal. In the midst of all that, and this is where my heart's at. If I'm going to raise the dead... It's not because somebody else who raised the dead laid their hand on me. It's because I pursued Jesus. It's because I disciplined my life and I went after God and I sought his heart. There's something about walking in the disciplines that makes all the difference in the world. Okay? So here's the deal. Remember that I said a little while ago, about 11 years ago, my life began to really, really change dramatically. And part of that was because I got my hands on a book that messed my head up. See, I've been a student of this book for a long time, but I'm gonna talk to you real straight. Everything that we get and we understand and we, and, and we can find about Jesus is in here. But I gotta tell you something, a lot of it's your perspective of what you're reading. Because five of us can read the same chapter and we can all walk away with something different. Do you understand what I just said? Yes. That's really, really true. Because I said it a little while ago, there's truth, then there's greater truth. So you've been sitting for six weeks, and Pastor Dan's taught most of the classes here. And, and what's happened is that you had truth when you came in this room. But then you started seeing things from a different perspective, and all of a sudden that truth began to get bigger. Does that make sense? Am I, am I right? Can I say that? Is there anybody that would doubt that? I mean, because to me, that's the way I see it, okay? In the process, about 11 years ago, I, I got a book, actually, and I'll tell you what was happening. It was about January, late January, and a huge snowstorm everywhere, and I'm out in East York. And I was in East York, and one of the girls from the church, her name's Susan Hoke, she called me, and we were talking on the phone, and I told her I was in East York, and it was a big snowstorm, and she was working. Uh, they owned a, a, a store, a, a pet grooming place, and she said, hey, you're in East York. Are you near the Christian bookstore? I said, yeah, I just come out of Galleria, and if you remember, that was the old Christian light. It's called some Pathway or something now, but... Um, I was pretty close to there, and she says, they've been calling me for several days. I've got a book there I need to pick up. She said, it's already paid for. She said, could you pick it up for me? I said, sure. I said, what's it called? And she told me. It was a book by a guy named Miles Monroe, and it was called Rediscovering the Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Ancient Hope for a 21st Century Church. And I had never heard of that book. I had heard the name Miles Monroe. I knew that he was from the Bahamas, but I didn't know much about him. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you something kind of cool. Bob Hazlett was just with him the other day. It's the first they met. They met in an airport, and he was kind of messed up over that. It was a really neat meeting. But anyway, long story kind of short, in the midst of all this, and I'll share this with you, what happened was I got the book, and, and I, Susan and them had already left, so I couldn't get it to them, and I was waiting for some people. So I was sitting there reading it, and I thought, huh, you ain't getting this book. Okay. <laughs> 
I got pretty excited about this book because it started to open my eyes to truths that I didn't understand before. And I'm reading it, and he's defining Scripture after Scripture in a way that I hadn't seen. What happened? I was changing the lens that I look at life through. Y'all follow that? So what happened was, for me, I began to understand that, wait a minute, my perspective is changing. Things are looking differently now. What do I do with this? Because watch this. One of the things, and this is where a lot of us are at, a lot of us in the body of Christ are here. Things that I had been told were this way, I'm now looking at different, and they weren't the way I was told. Y'all follow what happened? Now watch, because I want to say this the right way, and this will probably bring some clarity to a whole lot of us. But the fact of the matter was, people that I absolutely love told me this way, and now I'm seeing this way. And it's like, oh my goodness. Now I have to decide, do I grab onto this, or do I continue to embrace this and let that go? Because this has taken me out of my box, and I've been pretty comfortable in my box. Do you understand what I just said? Yep. Actually stretched me to the place where I was uncomfortable because I had never seen it this way before. And it was messing with me, it messed with my head. And I'm reading this because even something as simple as the prodigal son, you know what I mean? And I'm reading that and there's challenges there and there's different things because I'm seeing. And watch this, I went from an escapist mentality where I prayed a prayer, got my name in a book and I was going to go to heaven to the reality of bringing the reality of heaven to the earth and having a kingdom mindset. And it changed everything about me. But I had to decide what I was going to embrace. Because there was nothing wrong with the truth I had. I just got greater truth. Does that make sense to anybody besides me? I I hope that really registers with you. Because to me, those are are things that make all the difference in the world. So I want to talk to you for just a minute about this. Because here's the idea. Um, who's ever heard, and I, I don't even do a lot of secular music. I, I don't even listen to any of it now. But there was an old song that said this. He's just an old hippie, and he don't know what to do. Should he grab on to the, or should he hang on to the old, or should he grab on to the new? Anybody ever hear that song? Okay, some of you heard that. But anyway, I felt like that because that's the thing that was registering through my head. Do I hang on to the old, or do I grab on to the new? Right? Because God wanted to do a new thing. Remember that we just read in Joshua chapter 3, we've never gone this way before? I believe this. Over and over, God says, I'm going to do a new thing. Right? but we want to hold on to our old stuff. How do we hold on to our old stuff if God wants to do a new thing? See, a lot of people got saved with that idea in mind. They got saved. You know, if you went to 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, he says what? He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold what? All things are become new. So see, I didn't ask God to fix up my old self. I want God to kill my old self so I can have a brand new self. And a lot of times what we're trying to do is fix the old self, and we still hold on to old mindsets. But God said, I don't want to fix your old self. I don't want to try to patch you up. I don't want you to turn over a new leaf. I want to kill you and make you brand new. <laughs> that, that's a good word right there. See, honestly, God was out to kill me for a long time, okay? I just didn't know it, okay? And you're going to catch that all in the right terminology. You are catching that right, right? Because, again, my whole conversion, some of you don't know this, but I was raised Roman Catholic. We've got a bunch of priests in our family, 
okay? I was an older boy for eight years. From the time I was eight until I was 16, I was an older boy. But when I turned 16, they put me in charge at, at the 11 o'clock mass. I read all the scriptures for the priest. Now, you got to understand, at that point, my hair was pretty long. It's about, about, about right where Rachel's is right now. That was what my, I had hair. <laughs> Hang on. I'm getting some memories. It felt good, <laughs> okay? okay. But, there, but there was, it was real. And in the process of that, and, and, and this is the deal on that, at that point in my life, I'm reading scriptures for the priest. I meet this little girl at a place called Murphy Mart, okay? Murphy Mart's a small version of Walmart, okay? This little girl's name is Lori, and she's beautiful. She had Farrah Fawcett hair. Who remembers? Okay. <laughs> it was beautiful, right? It just flowed, and, and it's a cute little thing. And, and, and actually, and I'll tell you this. I was with Brent Frenchak. The day I met her, so they were in a, they were, we were stock boys. So I'd been there for a year. I was a stock boy. The, per, the lady in charge of personnel, her name was Shirley Palermo, and Shirley and I were pretty good friends. She was a lot older, and we, but we were friends. We joked around back and forth all the time. But she had certain classes. When they brought in all the new hires, they had to have a, what do they call it, the orientation class, okay? Now, they were bringing all the new hires in, and me and Brent were the two stock boys, so we thought we should go check out the new stock. Okay. <laughs> so I went into Shirley's class, and I saw Lori sitting there, and I looked at her, and I thought, oh, she's beautiful. And I told him, I'm marrying that girl. And I did two years later. <laughs> okay. But it, that was the first time I ever saw her. But watch this. In the process of all that, I meet her, we start talking, and we're talking back and forth, and she's actually working for a lady named Rose, and Rose told me she was engaged. So I thought, well, okay, then I don't want to mess with somebody else's, you know. Uh, if she's engaged, there's plenty of fish in the sea, and I felt like at that point I had all the right bait. Uh, <laughs> So, so, so we decided, I decided, so, but we stayed, and I talked to her, and she came to me one day, and she said, we were talking, and she said, can I ask you a question? I said, what? She said, why didn't you ever ask me out? I said, because you're engaged. She said, what? I said, you're engaged. I'm not going to ask you out if you're engaged. And she said, who told you I'm engaged? I said, Rose, and she, because that was her boss. You know why Rose told her that? So I'd leave her alone. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, in the process, we get to talking back and forth, and I said, so, uh, so anyway, uh, we get talking back and forth, and I said, so you want me to ask you out? And she said, well, that's a dumb question. <laughs> and anyway, so I said, well, let's go out Sunday night. She said, I, I can't go out Sunday night. I have to go to church. I said, you go to church Sunday night? I said, why don't you go Sunday morning? She said, I do go Sunday morning. I said, you go Sunday morning and Sunday night? She said, I go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I looked at her and said, are you bad? Because <laughs> we went Sunday morning because we had to. She went three times a week. Didn't make any sense to me. That was kind of nuts, right? And, and so we got talking. So we decided we'd go to church. I'd go to church with her Sunday night, and then we'd go out after church. Well, I don't know if any of you have ever been around Catholic, but Catholic church is very, very different than Pentecostal church. <laughs> So I walk into church, right? And the first thing I'm looking for is the holy water, and there isn't any. I'm thinking, what's wrong with these people? They don't have holy water because you have to dip your fingers in holy water and do the sign of cross. Now, some of you might not know that, but that's very traditional in the Catholic church. They don't have any holy water. Now, in her church, they had the theater seating. It was theater seats out of the old Penn Theater, but they had two pews that were in the middle, and the pews were for bigger people because they didn't always fit in the theater seats, and that made sense. So anyway, I figured, well, there's pews, so I can at least genuflect. So I did that, and, and I 
looked and thought, okay, I'm the only one doing that. Okay. <laughs> okay. And there was a whole bunch of things that seemed very foreign. Then they started the service. And they do what's called concert prayer. Anybody been in a church that does concert prayer? Everybody prayed out loud all at the same time. He said, let's, the, the, the pastor went to start the service. He said, let's stand, let's pray. So I did this. And we're, okay, they don't do that here. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm standing there and I'm waiting for him to pray. Everybody started praying at the same time out loud. I'm like, shh, the man said he's going to pray. Okay. Because <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. It's very foreign. I mean, you know, it could be a culture shock for somebody who's not from our type of faith. Amen. I've become acutely aware of that. Our worship services are radical around here. And you know what? I watch sometimes because some people are very nervous, and then you see them edging toward the door, and then you see them going out the door. And I used to say to Lori, there go the Lutherans. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. Because <laughs> I've been there. I understand some of that. It's all foreign to us. So here's the deal. In the midst of that, went to this church service with her, never saw anything like it. I was used to a pastor who stood in a little box, and he shared the homily. This guy ran back and forth like a, I thought I was watching a ping pong match. <laughs> now y'all think you're watching a ping pong match. <laughs> but that was foreign to me. I didn't understand all that. Because you don't see these things. In the process of all that, at the end of the service, we were going out to eat. I wasn't there for Jesus. I was there for Lori. But something happened in my heart. And you know what was really amazing to me? I came from a church of uh, 3,000 people belonged to St. Andrew's Parish. I went to Church of God of Prophecy in Butler. There's about 35 people. Do you understand the culture shock of that? But every one of them came, shook my hand, told me they were glad I was there. That was when I got there. Every one of them shook my hand and welcomed me to come back. That freaked me out. I didn't ever see that before. Because I'm used to going to a church where maybe 1,500 people would be in the service. And if five of them even said hello, it was strange. So this was kind of freaky. And they hugged me. <laughs> so, okay, what's up with this? Watch this. I didn't go back because the man preached an amazing message and my heart was moved. I went back because those people made me feel welcome. I happened to like that cute little girl that was with them. <laughs> Went back again. The second service I go to, right, the next Sunday night, it was a barn buster. Oh, my gosh, it was amazing. Today, I would have loved it. But on that night, Holy Ghost fell right in the very beginning of the service. They started praying for some people. I won't get into the whole deal. But I'm telling you, the power of God fell in that place. And today, I would have said it was amazing. On that day, I said, God, if you just get me out of here, I promise I won't come back. Okay. <laughs> I was so freaked out. I'm telling you, I was freaked out. Because one guy started jumping up and down and went up, and up the aisle like an Indian, and he was speaking in a language I'd never heard. I'd never seen anybody speak in tongues. There was all kind of things that were going on. It's, I mean, it freaked me out. They're dancing. They're jumping. They're shouting. I thought, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> I didn't realize there was something right with these people. But you got to understand something. They had something I didn't have. And I didn't understand that. Do you realize you have something most of the world doesn't have? But they don't understand what you have. And I've got to tell you something. It's all in the presentation. We have got to invite the world. Here's the deal. End of the service. Guess what happened? They all hugged me again. <laughs> they were loving me into the kingdom. And I had no idea. 
And you know the honest truth is, neither did they. But they were doing it. They were loving me into the kingdom. They didn't judge me. You gotta understand something. This was 1978. I had a 1977 Dodge B150. It was a party machine. <laughs> we all had them back then. But it was a it was a solid panel van. Had the diamond teardrop window or the diamond uh, smoke glass windows in the back. It had shag carpet on the floor. Had three inches of foam underneath that shag carpet. Had an octagon shaped wall with coach lights on it. Had red shag carpet and black tuck and roll everywhere. This was a mean machine. Had a refrigerator in it, and it was not for my sandwiches. This was a, this was a whole nother idea. You understand? I mean, it was there. It was built. It was done up nice. It was really good. There was a table in the back. It folded down. We won't talk about that. Here's what it was. This was another world that we lived in, right? They didn't understand. And they didn't judge me. They didn't condemn me. Now, some of them came to mom Bob and said, what are you letting her go out with that boy for? Okay. <laughs> but, but, but nobody came against me. It was an amazing day. They loved me into the kingdom. Please hear that. I wouldn't be standing before you today as the pastor of this church if those people didn't love me into the kingdom. Does that make sense to anybody? That's huge to me. There's a place where we start to understand. See John 13, 35. You know what it says? By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. How are they going to know you have love unless it's active and visible? That is so huge to me. See, we talk a lot about becoming love around here. I'm going to tell you something. That is the key. It's not a deal. It's the deal. It's the deal. I talk about becoming more and more like Jesus, and God is love, and Jesus is God. Come on, you can call it whatever you want. He said, I and the Father are one. God is love. You know what we need to become? Love. We need to become this thing. It's got to be real. Do you ever see anybody? Do you ever get hugged by somebody who said they loved you, and you knew they didn't? Like they hug you, I love you, Pastor. You're thinking, liar. Okay. <laughs> Hold it, let me see if your pants are burning. Okay, <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. Here's the deal. The, when it comes right down to it, we, this thing's got to be so real in us that nobody's even questioning whether it's the real deal or not. It's just got to be real. But that's where it comes back to. And here's what Joshua says. Sanctify yourself, right? Set yourself apart to the place where God is so moving in your life. You are set apart. You are becoming love. Why? Because he wants to do great things among us. I'm convinced, man. I'm in the kingdom today because some people loved me into the kingdom. And it wasn't just Lori. Because I could have dated her and not gone to that church. I'll tell you this. I got to this point. I'll tell you this. From August when I started dating her till February when I got born again, there was an incredible battle in my head. Incredible battle. Because you got to understand something. As a young child, when you're raised up in a certain way, this is what you know. And you're told this is truth and nothing else is truth. And, and again, not, not taken away from Catholicism. And we got this idea that the, the Catholics can't be born again. But I got an idea that Catholics can be born again and it ain't up to you. Okay? And the honest truth is, and I understand, please, I'm not, don't, don't take that all the wrong way because I understand more about that than most people because of my heritage. And, and I could, man, I could sit there with the Bible and show you a whole bunch of things I don't want to get into right now. But here's what I want to talk to you about. And this is what's really, really huge. And it's a big deal. On, at that point, August, I start going to church, September, October, November. God is so dealing with my heart. God is so dealing with my heart. But you've got to understand the battle that was in my head from years and years and years of being told this, and now I'm being told that. Do you know how challenging it is to change from this to that? 
It's, it's an amazing transition. But God's working on my heart. But I've got a mom who's speaking one thing to me, and I've got a girl that I'm finding my heart's going after who's telling me something completely different. And above all that, what mom's saying, what Lori's saying, what her mom, because Lori's mom and I are incredibly close, and she's teaching me truth, and it's like amazing to me. But my mom's telling me, man, you better, you know, you better watch yourself and all this. Because, and finally, in February, in a, in a, in a, in a Sunday, it was a Sunday night service. I'll tell you the story. I went to see my dad Sunday afternoon. I'd gone to church with my mom on Sunday morning, had some things going on, stopped over by my dad's. My mom and dad were divorced when I was 10. I won't get into all that story. But I stopped by my dad's on Sunday afternoon, and I stopped in to see him. It's about 4 o'clock. Church is going to be at 7. We're sitting there. And so we drank a few beers because that's what I did, right? Then I'm going to go to church, and I get to church, and I got there late. And Lori's sitting in the pew, not in the theater seats, in the pew. And they're singing out of the brown book, page 252. What a day that'll be, Okay, never mind. <laughs> okay. How many remember? You, some of us know every number of every book. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. We're singing out of the book, and, and we're singing, and we're singing the song. And so I just stepped in beside her, and I got a book, and I started singing with her. And then after they're done with that song, I leaned over, and I said, hi. And she smelled beer on my breath. She had been praying that God was going to save me, that I wasn't going to live that way. She'd been praying that way for a long time. And she started to cry. And I said, what's wrong? <laughs> Made it worse. Now she's crying openly. And she said, you've been drinking again. And I said, I just had a few beers. And she, and, and she just turned away and she's singing. And she's mad. Tears are running down her face. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? So I took my songbook. I put it in the little rack in front of there. Now what you got to understand is I had an alcohol problem. There's a rack in front there. I put the, put the songbook in there, and I just walked out of the church. Walked right out of the church because I was frustrated because I thought, man, what's wrong with this? I walked out of the church, and there's a couple of there's a couple doors that swing and then the steel doors that go out, right? Now, it was 1978, February, 1978, but it was a warm day, and in Butler, the church that we went to had five steps, and they were covered with AstroTurf. Because in 1978, everything was covered with AstroTurf. Okay. <laughs> Some of you would remember that, okay? It was the green AstroTurfy looking thing. And I, I got as far as the first step, and I sat down on it. And when I sat down on that step, God started really dealing with my heart. And for the first time, it was the first time. And I can say this, it was, it was the very first open vision I ever had. I don't know if everybody understands an open vision, but it's kind of like you have a dream only you're wide awake. Okay, it's the best way for me to say that. So I'm sitting on this step, and, and God opens up a picture for me. And I'm on a road that comes like this, and it makes a Y. Now, you got to understand, at this point, I'm now working in a steel mill in Pittsburgh, okay? I'm working at Allegheny Ludlam Steel for Heckin' Engineering. But I've been down where I've cleaned out the, va the, va the vats, and there's huge vats of steel. It's molten steel. And it's, I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but it's like liquid fire. It's like liquid, and there's flames that are shooting out of it. The specialty steels that we were making started at 2,200 degrees. I don't know if you understand 2,200 degrees, but that's like really, really hot. Okay, And there's fire that's shooting out of that all over the place at this vat. And what I saw was on the left side, I saw this vat of molten steel with fire shooting out of it everywhere. 
on the right side, and the best way I could describe this, who remembers in the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and Toto and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion, and they're running through the lily fields, the, the, the poppy fields. Remember the poppies and the golden city that was up there? Now, Dorothy, the Scarecrow, and all them aren't in this, but I'm seeing like it looks like the Emerald City of Oz, and there's all these flowers that are everywhere, and that's the way I can remember it. And the road came like this, and it split, and I had to choose. I was standing right there, and the Lord said, it's time for you to choose. Which path do you want to take? Are you going to take the road that's going to lead to the Emerald City? Come on, that's, and, and that's the way I saw it, right? Or the lake of fire. And I thought, I think I'm going to go back in there. Okay. <laughs> so I purposed in my heart on that night, I'm going to sneak back in. I sat there for quite a while. They're all inside. I think they're singing. Let me tell you what happened. Lori's mom, Des Bobbert, stopped the service. Right after they finished the song that I walked out on, she stopped them. And Lee Carbaugh was the pastor, and she said, Brother Carbaugh, could we pray right now? Because Don's walked out of the church, and I don't know if he'll ever be back again, but I know God's dealing with his heart. The whole church got together. They prayed, and they just asked, Holy Spirit, come and convict my heart. I have no idea. It's a sneak attack. I don't even think it's fair. Okay. Holy Spirit's boom, boom, and visions. And okay. I had no idea. See, God had a plan. God had a purpose for my life. I didn't know that purpose. I didn't know that plan. I was a happy little Catholic boy. They're messing me up. Okay. okay. Here's the deal. I'm sitting out there on a the step. I decide I'm going to come back in. So I open the steel door and close it behind me quietly. I go to push, you know them, do you remember the doors that swing both ways, double hinge doors with the little windows in them? They had them in the Butler Church. I pushed the door thinking it would be, you know, I'd sneak in the back and the door went, and every head in the building went, and I thought, okay, so much for sneaking in, you know what I mean? I sat in the back of the church. I sat back there. As, uh, I have no idea what Lee Carbaugh preached, but you remember that whole ping pong thing? I mean, he had his ping pong game on. He was boom, 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 boom. He's preaching like a house on fire because he thinks he's going to preach conviction into me because i got to get born again, right? I'm thinking, shut up and give the altar call. I want to get saved. <laughs> I have no idea what he preached. I'm just thinking, I always want to get up there. You know what I mean? As soon as he gave the altar call, I'm making beeline tears everywhere. They got mops out in buckets. It was really bad. Okay, snot bubbles everywhere. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It was nasty, okay? But I got radically saved that night. You know why? I got loved into the kingdom. I want you to understand that because to me, that's everything. That's everything. It's such a hard cry for me that the body of Christ really gets this message about becoming love because honestly... I don't think it's our incredible preaching. I don't think it's the great song services. I don't think it's our special singing or our music. Or, I honestly believe it's love that's going to change the world. It's love that's going to change the world. And you and I have got to allow the love of God to flow through us. I mean, so much my prayer, Lord, make me an open gate of heaven and flow through me. Because that makes all the difference in the world. I honestly believe that's the greatest impact you're going to have on the world around you. See, here's the deal, and I'll say this. This is a real strong thing. I, I, I know we need to take a break in just a few minutes, but watch this. This is so strong to my heart. I'll never have a place to speak into your life until you honestly believe that I love you. Do you understand what I just said? Yeah. I'll never have a place to speak into your life unless you honestly believe that I love you. On the day that you don't think I love you, you will not hear my voice. But if you believe that I love you, 
I do a lot, a lot of counseling. And I have, a, I, have, I have a lot of, I guess, a lot of, I'll say spiritual children for the best phrase I can use. Every one of them knows this. If I sit down with you and I say, hey, I need to talk with you, man. Come here, man. And I start with this. You know I love you, right? <laughs> they understand that there's correction that's going to follow that. But I have the ability to correct them because they know I love them. Do you understand what I just said? Because it's a father's heart. A father's heart corrects. A father doesn't let children just run mishap. There's a correction that has to take place. But the correction has to take place always from a point of love. So if I look at you and I say, hey, you know I love you, right? Okay, then you know something's coming. (laughs) Okay? But I have a place to speak into your life because you believe that I love you. If you don't believe I love you, you'll never let me correct you. You might hear me, but you won't hear me. Do you understand what I just said when I said that? That's a huge thing. I honestly believe the body of Christ has to love the world into the kingdom. That's the greatest power we have, I promise you. We can preach incredible messages. We can help people expand on truth. We can do all kind of amazing things. We can see the power of God work. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe this. I believe it's a show and tell gospel. And we're going to see God move. But I honestly believe the greatest force you have to touch people's lives is that you love them into the kingdom. Do you understand right now we have a team of missionaries over in Kenya? They're encountering some things right now that are absolutely like right out of the Bible. I can't even go into it with, because of confidentiality and all kind of other things. But they're encountering a bunch of things. But you know what their main goal is? We're going to love these people. We're going to love these people and we're going to change the culture. Do you understand that you can love people and change their culture? That's a good word right there. I'm telling you, it's happening. It's happening right in front of us. It's just so fun. So here's the deal. We're loving people. We're touching people's lives and hearts, and it's everything. And it is a big deal. It's the big deal. But let me go a little bit farther uh, when we get back from break. I think we were supposed to take a break because Sue kind of flagged me down. So it's break time. Take a break. What do we got, about 15 minutes? Okay, man, you're on. Good. Okay. Wow, let's take a look at a couple of things if we can. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 3 right now. Have you been in... (laughs) Okay, I still haven't figured it out. Oh, okay. I'm trying to get shoes out of that, sandals. (laughs) Um... I want you to think with me for a minute. I just shared with you a little personal testimony of my, the, the night I got born again and some of the things that happened there. I began to think differently on that day. Do you understand that that's what repentance really is all about, changing the way you think? I really believe that so much... So much of the challenge to the body of Christ is that we've prayed a prayer, but I'm not sure we've thought differently. And I want you to catch that. We've prayed a prayer. We felt pretty good about the prayer we prayed. We got the goosebumps. Things rose up inside of us. It felt pretty neat. But did we change the way we think? On on the night I got saved, I mean, I got radically saved. Uh, remember I was telling you about my van? My van was kind of a pride thing for me. I wouldn't have seen it then. It's real obvious now. But in the process of that, I'm driving home wishing that a tractor trailer will come and smash me because I know I'm going to heaven. 
Okay, that's for the first time in my life, I knew I was going to heaven. I knew that my name was written in the Lamb's book of life. I know a lot of times we talk about when a person gets born again, it's about praying a prayer and getting your name in a book. And the truth of the matter is, it's not about getting your, praying a prayer and getting your name in a book, but the fact is you prayed a prayer and you got your name in a book. Your heart changed, you know what I mean? Something shifted inside of you. And your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Don't take away from that. Did you move this table so I won't go over here? Is that what it was? Okay, but, but in the process, here's what's the deal. And, this, and, it, and it is a big deal, and I want you to catch this. I began to start to think differently. Now, you've got to understand, being raised the way that I was raised and all the things that went on in my life, counseling was just a natural reaction. It was just something you did. But I promised God on that night I'd never cuss again. So I purposed in my heart, that's the way my life was going to be. I had to change the way I thought. It makes sense, does it make sense what I'm saying that? And I realized, man, I can't be like I used to be. Remember that we used the scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, any man's in Christ, he's what? A new creature. I'm not trying to fix the old. The old is dead, right? And I've become new. So it's February. Remember I told you it was February. And I'm, on a, I'm, I'm working for a company. At that point, I'm working for a company called J.C. Brady uh, Construction. I'm laid off from the mill. I'm working for J.C. Brady Construction Company. And at that point in my life, here's what was going on. I'm out on a roof, and we are... The, the house caught fire. We did fire restoration. So I'm now putting shingles on. It's February. And in February in, in, in western Pennsylvania, it's cold on a roof. It's maybe about 9.30 in the morning, and we're, we're pounding shingles. Back then, we didn't have air guns and compressors. You did everything with a nail pouch and a hammer. You know what I mean? So you're pulling nails, and you're hitting. And, and I've, been, I've been in construction. I mean, I'm only 18 years old, but I've been in construction ever since I was a little kid. I mean, I always had a hammer in my hand. We were building something. And I'm putting shingles on this roof with the guys, and I smacked my hand. I have to understand, my life at that point, I was a pretty big kid. I was a tough kid. I boxed for the Butler Cubs. There was a whole bunch of things that were going on. I, I was in really good shape. I was football, baseball. I was very athletic and, and a big, strong boy. And at that point, I smacked my hand. And when I did, I said stuff I shouldn't have said because all my life I was saying those words. But the night before, I promised God I'd never do it. Now, here I am 12 hours later doing it. And I started to cry. The guys around me thought I hit my hand that hard in that cold weather that that pain in my hand was so bad I was crying. I wasn't crying because there was pain in my hand. There was pain in my heart because I had promised God I wouldn't do that, and I've already done it. You know what happened immediately? There's a devil on my shoulder. What's he saying? You can't do this. You're not going to be able to walk this thing. That was, that was all just a big thing last night. That was your emotions. That's just, you know... But you're never going to be able to live this life. Who's ever been told that by the devil? There's a real devil out there. And he started telling me, you'll never be able to do this. This isn't even real. You know, why are you even bothering? Why try? You're just, you've never, you've, you're never meant for this. You just keep living the way you were. There was nothing wrong with you the way you were. Right? Because that's what the devil's going to tell you. So all of a sudden now, this is all running through my head. And I'm like, no, I don't believe that. And I asked God immediately to forgive me. Right? And I spent the whole day asking God to forgive me. 
I'm so frustrated with myself because I didn't even get that far, and I'm so frustrated. Here's the deal. What's what went on from that point? I go home, clean up, go back to Lori's like I normally did because that's the normal routine. I'd go home, clean up, and I'd go see Lori. I went in to see Lori. Her mom met me at the kitchen, and she said, hey, how was your day? Because she's very excited. My mother-in-law is like on cloud nine because I've given my heart to Jesus. That's what she's all about. She's helped. She's led hundreds of people to the Lord. She's an amazing woman of God, and she's all excited because the guy who's dating her daughter has now become a Christian, and she's very, very excited for me, and I walk in the door, and she says, hey, how was your day? And I went, don't even talk to me. <laughs> and she says, what? And I said, I don't even want to talk about it. Mama, I, can't, I, I don't even want to face you right now. And she says, why? What's going on? I said, I don't want to talk about it. Here's what happened, because <laughs> that's what we usually do. And I begin to tell her I'm on this roof, and while I'm on the roof, I smack my hand, and when I smack my hand, cuss words came out, and I didn't want to do it, and I promised God I would never do that again. And she looked at me, and she said, did you ask God to forgive you? I said, a thousand times. She said, wow. I said, and I looked at her, and she said, you know, you did something today that's amazing. I said, what's that? She said, you confused God. (laughs) And I looked at her, I said, what? She said, you confused God. I said, what are you talking about? She said, all day long. I said, what are you saying? She said, you know when the first time you asked God to forgive you, he took your sin, cast it as far as the east is from the west, and said he'll never remember it again. So the second time that you asked God to forgive you for cussing, he said, what cussing? (laughs) Because he chose not to remember. And the third time, fourth time, fifth time. And do you realize that 999 times you confused God? God is probably up in heaven going, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Because he said after the first time, it was forgiven and forgotten. She said, once you've asked God to forgive you, you don't have to go back and ask him 999 more times. Make sense what I just said? Do you understand the mercies of God and the grace of God are a lot bigger than we've allowed them to be? Here's the idea. I was beating myself up all day. God wasn't beating me up at all. And it wasn't conviction that was coming to me. It was condemnation. Do you understand what I just said? Because conviction brought me to the place where I repented of my sins. Condemnation wanted to remind me of my sin. Oh, that's a good word right there. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from hell. Did you catch what I just said? Because that's a huge tool for you right now. There'll be times in your life, well, I've got to tell you something. There'll be times in your life when you mess up, Holy Spirit's going to convict you. And when he does, he's bringing you to a place where you get right with God. After you've gotten right with God, after you've repented of that and you're right with God, and it comes back to you, it's not conviction anymore, it's condemnation. It's not Holy Spirit, it's straight from hell. Y'all get what I just said? Yeah. That's worth coming for all day right there. You got to understand something. We have beat ourselves up in places like absolutely crazy. You can beat yourself up long enough, you won't like you anymore. And the truth is, you're amazing. You're phenomenal. You're supernatural. One of the neatest things that I can tell you about you today is this. This is really, really cool. And I'll say this the right way, but hear what I'm going to tell you. You have to start believing in you. And that's a big challenge for the body of Christ. I tell the church here a lot, I said, man, you've got to be able to look in the mirror and go, you're amazing. Good morning, you. You're amazing. (laughs) See, you ought to be able to do that. And most of the body of Christ can't do it. Because we beat ourselves up. 
We spend a lot of time beating ourselves up. We spend a lot of time picking out all of our bad stuff, picking out all what's wrong with us rather than seeing what's right with us. The fact of the matter is God thinks you're amazing. And I happen to believe God's right. You should agree with God. <laughs> I think agreeing with God is a really, really good idea. Y'all understand what I just said? Does, do, you, do you honestly believe that God thinks you're amazing? Why don't you? You agree with God on everything else except that. But a lot of us can't look in the mirror and go, wow, you are amazing. Because we've been taught that's arrogance. That's not arrogance, that's confidence. I'm not amazing because of who I am. I'm amazing because God lives in me. See, I have no problem telling you I am amazing and I'm getting better. <laughs> Here's the deal, and I believe this. I believe this with all my heart. There's an amazing God living inside of me. See, I've watched people do this over and over again. They beat themselves up and, and, they, and they talk about what's wrong with them. And then they use excuses like this. Well, I'm just human. I'm only human. You're not only human. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have lost the right to say I'm only human. You can't say I'm only human. There's a divine God that lives inside of you. You are partakers of the divine nature of the Almighty. How do you know that? Because it's in 1 Peter. Why? Because it's in the book. Because he's telling you, you're not only human anymore. Jesus lives in you. You're amazing. Feel amazing. Be amazed at you. You should look in the mirror and go, huh? You're amazing. I believe that. You don't believe that. I can tell by the look on most of your faces. You struggle with the idea of being able to tell yourself you're amazing. You're supernatural. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're wonderful. How do I know that? Jesus said so. Come on, you're worth the blood of Jesus. That's an amazing thought right there. He thought you were worth it. He wouldn't have come if he didn't. You got to get this. This is so incredible. Can you actually look in the mirror and go, wow, you are amazing? See, I challenged the church to do that every day for a week, and I never checked back to see how many of them did. I should have. Because honestly, we need to be doing that. You need to be able to actually believe in yourself. This is an amazing thing. Hang on. This is an amazing thing that we would learn to actually, this is huge. I'm going to talk to you about it again. Go back. I can only tell you about my life because I know it better than everybody else's. Okay. But here's the deal. I'm I'm 16 years old. I'm coming into 11th grade. Uh, Butler High School, huge school, a huge school, 1,007 kids in my graduating class. So that's just in my class, in my grade, 1,007 kids. Big, big school, right? I come into 11th grade. My older brother, Jim, incredibly intelligent. Did any of you have any of these, like where the teachers compare you to your brothers, you know, or whatever? This was awful for me because my older brother, Jim, never brought a book home, never studied anything and got straight A's all of his life. Goes to college and is on the dean's list, still doesn't study. That's not fair. I bring home books. I study like crazy, and I come home and go, Mom, I got a C. Look, I got a C. Because <laughs> I'm excited. I'm average. Yay. Okay. <laughs> See, you were wrong. I'm that good. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's the deal. I'm coming into 11th grade. You got to understand, at this point, up until the 9th and 10th grade, I took uh, what they called college prep. Back then, I don't know what they call it now. They called it college prep classes at that point. I'm taking college prep classes. I'm getting ready with the idea I'm going to go to college because it wasn't even really an option for us. We were told, you know, you're going to go to college. Well, my older brother, Jim, had gone to a special school out in Rensselaer, Indiana called St. Joe's College to major in television and communications. While he's out there, the tuition's incredible, and mom is realizing there's just not enough money, and my grades aren't at that place where I'm going to scholarship. Jim scholarship. I wasn't scholarshiping. And she began to tell me, unless you can get all A's 
and a few B's and pull with scholarship, you're not going to be able to go to college. Well, all A's and a few B's was outside of the realm of understanding for me. Okay, I, that wasn't going to happen. I got an A in lunch. I got an A in gym. I got an A in study hall, but those didn't count. Okay, okay. outside of that, it was, it was not a good time for me. Okay, see, for me, and this is the deal. I was trying, but it just wasn't there. So here's what happened. I decided when I was going into 11th grade, I thought, because we picked our, our classes, I think they do that now, but back then we got to pick what, what, what career path we were taking and a lot of different things. So I decided then I'm taking shops. I'm going to go to auto mechanics shop because I like cars and we all messed around with cars and stuff. And school at that point became a social experience. Education was optional. <laughs> and that's how I felt about it. So I started in that. I was in, we were in about probably about a month or so, maybe six weeks. And I got, uh, I got a call to come down to see my guidance counselor. Now he had been my guidance counselor in ninth and 10th grade. And now he's my guidance counselor in 11th grade. And he saw that I'd made a change, brought me in. His name was Mr. Kitchens. And I'll never forget this. Mr. Kitchens calls me in his office. And on that day, he says to me, he says, Don, I've been watching you. He says, uh, What's the deal? You're not taking college prep. You went into mecha- auto mechanics. What's up with this? You know, this went to general education. He says, are you, are you not planning on going to college? And so I began to explain to him the story. He says, no, wait a minute. He said, you could get A's and B's. He said, it would be easy for you. He said, I've watched you. He said, I've known you long enough to know now that if you wanted to, you could do anything you want to do. And whatever you put your mind to, you'll be successful at it if you choose to. It's exactly what he said to me. Now, here's the deal. He believed in me, but I didn't. And I walked out of there, and you got to understand something. When you're 16 years old, you know everything, and adults know nothing, okay? <laughs> okay? And I left out of there with an attitude and whatever else and figured he's just trying to pressure me into taking college prep, but I'm not going to college, and there's no way I'm going to apply myself to chemistry and algebra and all those kind of things if I don't have to because I'm not going to college anyway, and it's not going to do me any good. I'll go to work in a steel mill. Everybody follow that mentality? That's just where I was, okay? So I left out of there, but here's what happened. Over the months that turned into years, I never forgot the meeting that I had with Mr. Kitchens. Mm -hmm. And I left out of there with a changed thought. My thought was, he's the professional, and the professional believes in me. So here's what happened. I started believing in myself. I started believing that I could actually do anything I put my mind to, that I could be anything that I wanted to be, that I could be the best at whatever I wanted to do because the professional said so. So even when I was cutting steel in the steel mill, do you know what happened? I became the best cutter they had. It was called Lancer. I was a Lancer. I was by far the best Lancer. I was making more money for them than anybody had ever done in the history of the mill in that particular division. Then I got on a high lift, and I don't know if you know what a high lift is, front end loader, but I ran Caterpillars 980s, 988s, two of the biggest ones that they make, and I got extremely proficient with them. You know why? Because Mr. Kitchens told me I could, and he believed in me. And that, 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 that visit with that guidance counselor on that day changed my perspective. It changed the way I saw things. It changed the way I looked. I'm going to tell you this. Is there something to this? And I want to talk to you real straight. There's a place where we get enough. And I want to say this. At this point in my life, with Jesus inside, I believe I can do all things Amen. through Christ who strengthens me. You know why? It's in the book. It's actually in the book. And you've got to believe that for yourself. You've got to believe in you. You've got to actually be able to look in that mirror and say, I am amazing. Because if you believe that you're amazing, you know what will happen? You'll do amazing things. Yes. But if you believe that you're a failure, guess what? You'll fail. If you believe that you'll never do anything right, you'll probably not do very much right. 
Do you understand what happens? And here's what happens. We start now professing out of our mouth the very thing that we believe because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So watch this. If I believe in my heart that I'm amazing, guess what I'm going to say? I'm amazing. You've got to start speaking that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you something. I found this. When I start speaking that, I'm prophesying over my own life. I have prophetic ability in me. Why? Death and life are in the power of my tongue. See, one of the great revelations I got was in Proverbs 18 when it said, death and life are in the power of tongue. I realized it wasn't God's tongue. <laughs> death and life aren't in the power of God's tongue. And I understand that it could say, that's not what he's saying. He's saying death and life are in the power of your tongue. And you know, we hear it quoted all the time. People say it all the time, life and death are in the power of tongue, life and death are in the power of tongue. It doesn't even say it that way. It doesn't say life and death are in the power of tongue. It says death and life are in the power of tongue. Why does it say it that way? Because fallen man's nature is to proclaim death. And the natural man proclaims death. But we have to train ourselves to speak life. You have to train yourself to speak life. See, in Psalms 103, David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. What's he doing? He's saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions. What's David really doing? He is speaking to himself. He is telling himself, Speak life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my mind, my will, my emotions. David is speaking to himself to speak out the blessing. Prophesy life. Speak life everywhere that you go. We've got to get this. You've got to speak life over you. We have spent way too much time in the body of Christ beating ourselves up. We have spent way too much time allowing the devil to tell us what's wrong with us rather than to profess what's right with us. It's up to you entirely. You get to choose what comes out of your mouth. You get to choose how you feel about you. Here's the deal. You've got to know the truth about you. The truth about you is you're amazing. How do you know that? Because God said so. And I happen to believe that God's not wrong. And if God's wrong, we're all in trouble. <laughs> Come on. It's in the book. And that's what we got to do. We actually got to start believing what we're reading. Wouldn't it be great to be believers that actually believe? Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced God's wanting to raise up a group of believing believers. Yeah. Believers that will speak to mountains and mountains will actually move. Yeah. But you got to believe the mountain's going to move before the mountain's going to move. It's not going to change just because you thought about it. It's going to change because it has to. See, I've got to start thinking from heaven's perspective in everything that I do. That's where Colossians 3 comes in. He says, if you're risen with Christ, seek the things that are above. Let's go to that. Look at Colossians chapter 3. It's probably verses 1 and 2. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay? Setting your mind on things above is thinking from his world. Right? We've got to start thinking from his world. I have got to see everything from heaven's viewpoint. There's a vantage point of heaven. Ephesians says I'm seated with him in heavenly places. Ephesians 2 and 6. If I'm seated with him in heavenly places, then I ought to be able to view things from his viewpoint. I've got to be able to look at Kathy Mundus and see her the way God sees her. I can do it because he's in me. We can look around and you know, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. It's seeing from his perspective, thinking his thoughts. See, it's an amazing thing because I can look at you and I can think of, I can look at Kelly and I can think, wow, God thinks amazing things about Kelly. 
God's got incredible plans for her. And she's walking into a destiny that's amazing. And her whole life's been radically changed. She shared some of her story on Saturday. We had a breakfast together and a whole bunch of things were going on. And there's amazing things that are in store for her. And I can see all the things God wants to do for her. And man, I can step back and I can pray for her and see God just exploding in amazing ways over her. Guess what? I gotta be able to do that with me. It's so easy for us to see what, what God wants to do in Rachel or what God wants to do in Bobby. But what about what God wants to do in me? You've got to be able to see. Because here's what happens. We believe really big things for everybody else. Why don't we start believing for ourselves? Oh, well, we were taught that's selfish. That's ridiculous to think that's selfish. That's destiny. That's God's plan. That's God's purpose. He wants to do amazing things in your life. Isn't that cool? Like that stuff that makes you go, yay, God, you're awesome. Here's the deal, because I got to think from his world. I've, I've been transformed into an amazing reality. Do you understand the potential that lies in every one of us? Like the very worst of us is amazing. I don't even know if that makes sense to you or not, but it really does to me. Like the very worst of us has amazing potential. God, Irene's back here. She worked for 20 years at a ministry called New Life for Girls. Do you know what happened? They stole right out of Satan's camp and brought out God's trophies. Yay, God. (laughs) Take that, devil. (laughs) You see, I'm convinced. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I'm convinced that God's doing amazing things, right? Some of them trophies are in this room. Here's the deal, and this is amazing to me. I want you to think about this for just a minute because when it comes down to it, you've got to think differently about yourself. Here's the deal. Here's a big deal. You can write this down. I don't want to think one thought about me that God doesn't think about me. Oh, that's good stuff right there. I don't want to think one thought about me that God doesn't think about me. I want to think about me the way God thinks about me. God thinks I'm amazing, so I have to convince myself I'm amazing. Why? Because God said so. Is God wrong? Absolutely not. I must be amazing. <laughs> I am amazing. <laughs> See, you can dance. Woo-hoo, I'm amazing. Okay, come on. Come on. You should feel pretty good about that. I don't want to think one thought about me that God doesn't think about me. If God thinks I'm amazing, he must be right. You need to go home and tell your spouse, hey, I am amazing. Okay. <laughs> I, don't care what, I don't care what you think. I'm amazing. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, we do have to care. How many, of you, how many of you have ever said this? I don't care what people think. You just lie to yourself. You do care what people think. As a matter of fact, Proverbs tells us a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. That tells me we ought to care what people think. But we ought to carry ourselves so that people think right about us. But the truth is, if what you think is different than what God thinks, then I'm going to care about what God thinks. Do you understand? See, God thinks I'm amazing. So if somebody around me doesn't think I'm amazing, well, they're just wrong. (laughs) Okay. I tell Lori all the time, she can disagree with me because she has the right to be wrong. And the only time she ever disagrees with me is when she's wrong. (laughs) In my opinion, right? Because if it wasn't my opinion that she was wrong, then I'd be agreeing with her. Do you understand that's what disagree means? We think differently. Whoever, whoever disagrees and thinks they're the wrong one, not until you're proven wrong, but until then, you think you're right. Okay, here's the deal. God's never wrong. So you can disagree with God, but you must be the one that's wrong. And God thinks you're amazing. 
Am I making sense? I hope I'm getting through to you. Because we have to change the way we think. This is what Colossians 3 is saying. Set your mind on things that are above. I've got to think like God thinks. It's easy for me to think about Anthony the way God thinks about Anthony. But I've got to think about me the way God thinks about me. If I don't, I'll never impact the world around me because I don't believe in myself. That's a good word right there. I'm talking to you now. I'm talking to you like a pastor now. But you have to hear that. You've got to think about you the way God thinks about you or you'll never change the world around you. That's a good word. Go ahead, man. A few years ago, I learned something that's very relevant to this, and now I add this part of being amazing. But a few years ago, God taught me to speak in, well, look at the mirror and teach others this, that if you don't love yourself, you look in the mirror every day for a week or so and start speaking God loves you and I love you too. Speaking mm-hmm. right to yourself. Mm-hmm. And so many people came back with a different perspective within a week that they started realizing that they were of worth and that God does love them. And now I'm adding, take that and say, God says I'm amazing. Mm-hmm. And watch what happens. Yeah. And you start speaking that life over yourself. I'm telling you, you have prophetic ability in your tongue. You're a speaking spirit. Why? Because you're created in God's image. God spoke and it happened. God creates Adam in the garden. What's he tell Adam to do? Name all the animals. And you know what it says? And they were named whatever Adam named them. Why? Because God gave him the ability to do that. It's in you. You've got to start speaking over your life. Your thoughts have got to agree with God. You ever do this? Oh, I'm just stupid. Does God agree with that? Does God think that way? Why don't you do something crazy and then go, oh, I'm amazing. (laughs) Because even if I did it wrong, I'm still amazing, (laughs) okay? Why? Because God does think that. I have to think like God thinks. I have to act like, I've got to start to believe that. that, I've got to act like I believe that. Here's the deal. It is a big deal. It's really, really, a really, really, really big deal, okay? And the idea is that if I started, and here's what I ran into. This is what I ran into. I started telling people to say, I'm amazing. And they felt like that was pride. And that's not pride, that's confidence. Do you understand there's a huge difference? Right? It's confidence. All we got, and the idea is, is that we've got to start being confident. And my confidence isn't even about me, it's about the God that's in me. Does that make sense? I'm just confident God's in me. There's no question about, I, I, I never go home and wonder, God, are you still here? <laughs> Are you in me, God? I've never had this conversation. I've never prayed and said, God, just let me know you're in there because I don't know if you're in there. That's never a prayer. I've never even thought like that. There's never been a day when I wondered, is Jesus still in me? Like, did you leave? Did you go somewhere? Because I don't feel you. I know he's in there. I'm so confident of that. If he's in there, I must be amazing because there's an amazing God living inside of me. Am I making sense? So I've got to start thinking from his world, right? So listen, let's go back to where I was, okay? Remember what we were talking about? Get converted. All these things are going on. My mind's changing, shifting. You've got to understand that for years, I did things the way the people around me did them. Why? Because they were my model. 
Y'all follow what I just said? I, I pastored my, the church I pastored, I pastored the way all the other pastors in the organization did. We had forms and things to fill out, and we, we pretty much had guidelines and directions, and this is how you did it, you know what I mean? And you learned how to, can I even say you learned how to climb the corporate ladder? Yeah. Is it fair to say that? Is that okay? I'm not being critical. Don't hear that wrong. It was my mentality, right? This is how you do it, because one day, if you perform well enough, you'll be the next state overseer. So then it's, it's even spoken over me. That's your direction. Boy, you're going to be the state overseer one day. You got it going on. You're coming along. And so what are you doing now? Now, all of a sudden, that's your high watermark, right? That's your benchmark. I'm going for, this is what I'm going after. I'm going to pastor my church as well enough. And, and we did this thing where in the church, you were appointed pastors by an overseer. So you're there usually about three years or so, maybe one year, maybe two years, maybe three years at the most five years. And then you get moved again. That was the way things were back then. And that's a lot of that's changed in the organization I was in at that. But, but what happens was uh, we were, we would move. We became church doctors because the first church we went to was a disaster. I don't know. <laughs> It was a bad. Here's what happened. We, we, were, we, were, we were church doctors, and we went around to a lot of places, and, and we got a chance to just touch a lot of lives, okay? So what really happened is we were sending to churches that had gone through critical places, and we were really sending to just love people. And I think that's what God was doing to me, was teaching me what love looks like. Because people needed to be loved. They, how many of you know when you go through a church hurt, when you go through a really, really bad place, you just need somebody to come alongside you and love you back into the kingdom. Get you back on your feet, get you stronger, get you moving forward. So we're loving people. We're getting moved around from place to place. There's a whole lot of things that are going on. And in the process of that, here's what happened. I was going through all the stuff, and my world got rocked. And I won't get into all the details, but... We ended up stepping out of pastoral ministry, but only for, well, well, actually, we just went from where we were, and we started the church here in, in the plaza, and talked about that a little while ago. But what happened was, my whole world had gotten rocked. And what I thought was perhaps one of the most devastating things in my life, because we had stepped out of the organization we had been a part of for so many years and poured ourselves into, and we stepped out of that, I thought was probably what I would have at that moment told you, maybe one of the most devastating things we'd gone through became the catalyst for what might have been the greatest blessing I'd ever received. But I'd never be where I am today, except God had to move me from where I was then. How I many you know sometimes we get really comfortable where we're at yeah. and God's trying to move us forward and we won't go. So when we won't go, he helps us. <laughs> okay. Come on, man. I came into this thing with the right hand of fellowship. I went out with the left foot of fellowship, but you know, it's just, it kind of goes that way, right? But God had something bigger for us that we couldn't see. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does to me. It makes incredible sense to me. I wish you'd have just talked to me. <laughs> Here's the deal. He probably was. <laughs> Some, sometimes we're not, we're not tuned in. I'm just going to leave it at that, and I'm, I'm going to get off this subject. <laughs> okay? but, but, but some of you know exactly where I'm at. In the process of that, here's what was going on. As God is moving and things are happening, we're coming through this thing. We started the church here in, in the plaza, and God was working, and I mentioned about the book that got into my hands, and I began to change the way I think, change the way I see things, and that's what I'm reading in Colossians right now, is that God was showing me that you were thinking this way, and this was good, but how many know this was better? Yeah. Yeah. 
And then there's more. And I'm wondering how much more is there yet? Because I'm going to go back to, the, to what the Lord showed me on the first week we were in, or the first month we were in the new church sitting back there, that I'll be sitting back there as an old man listening to messages from a generation that hasn't even been born yet going, oh, wow, that's good. Because I think if I can keep pushing my ceiling, their floor is going to be incredible. What a launch pad. Y'all follow that? What a launch pad. God teach us what that looks like. Keep reading because we're going to go a little farther. Okay. Let me, can I jump back to Colossians 1 because there's something in my heart right now? Drop back to Colossians 1. Look at verses 21 and 22. There's some very powerful verses right here. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Do you know who he's talking about there? He's talking about you. What he just said is you're not who you used to be. Right? Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Okay? But watch this. He says this is who you are now. Holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Okay? Do you understand the old you is dead? This is what I was talking about. God was out to kill me. Right? The old you is dead. So here's the deal. What I found in this, when I, when I was walking through this, I found that God was changing me and doing some things to me, and I had to learn the truth about me. Because here's why. I was still beating myself up. I was still remembering all the stuff that I struggled through, and how many know when you go through a tough place in your life, that, that wants to define you. Did you hear what I just said? It doesn't define you. It wants to define you. But that doesn't define you. And one of the things that you've got to catch is we can't allow our past mistakes, our past hurts, and our past junk to define who we are. Right? I'm not the man that got fired. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to everybody. But I'm going to tell you something. If you've been through a church hurt or you've been through a, a family situation or a relationship that went sour, maybe you got divorced, maybe you went through a tough place, whatever, that doesn't mark you for life. I'm going to talk to you real plain. God's doing amazing things. There's a place where you've got to be able to see yourself so completely different. When I read this verse, God, what, I, what I got this is God was speaking to my heart saying, you are not who you used to be. This is who you are. Holy, unblameable, unreprovable. And you have to see yourself that way. That's how God sees me. God sees me as holy. Do you know sometimes, and some of you that are part of Harvest Chapel, you'll hear me saying, it's an amazing thing to get up in the morning and go, wow, I am squeaky clean. Yeah. I like being squeaky clean. You know why I'm squeaky clean? Because God sees me squeaky clean. You might see me and think, that man is a mess. God doesn't see a mess. If I'm a mess, I'm his mess. <laughs> That's okay. Because he loves me. He sees me squeaky clean. He sees me as holy. He sees me as unreprovable. That's, those are pretty big words. This is God speaking. And he's saying, this is how I see you. You've got to start seeing yourself that way. Why? You've got to believe in yourself. You are called to agree with God about you. That's a challenge to me, that I would agree with what God says about me. That's kind of challenging. I'm challenging you today to agree with God about you. See, the, I'm going back and say it again, but over and over, it's easy to agree with God about Jennifer. 
but I got to agree with God about me. I can look at Matt and go, wow, God's got amazing plans for Matt. I want to be able to look in the mirror and go, wow, God's got amazing plans for you. You looking at that guy in the mirror, God's got amazing plans for you. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil to bring you to an expected end. Isn't that amazing that I could start to actually believe that about me? I'm getting there. And watch what I said, I'm getting there. I want to talk to you about this because this is a big deal. And I'll talk to you about this, it's a really, really big deal to me, but watch this. We get into the plaza and I am dazed, confused, and I don't know. I'm just going to love some people and see what God does, right? That's where we were at. Love some people and see what God does. So we started loving some people and the church started growing. You know why? Because people want to be loved. Yeah. Remember that I said, I got a hold of this because of the way I got saved. When I got converted, it was strictly because a whole bunch of people loved me. And I really believe they loved me into the kingdom, and I believe that. So that's always been a big major thing for me is that we just got to love people. So we're loving a bunch of people, and God's doing some amazing things, and the church starts to grow. And then we got to, we got the president of the bank, you see, the loan officer, you know, give them whatever they want to, and we started to build, and things started exploding, and God was just doing amazing things. And we just kept loving people. Even when we came forth to do this part of the building that we're sitting in right now, you wouldn't believe how many people came to me and said, you can't build in a bad economy. And how many of you know, last year, everybody on the planet thought, bad economy. You don't know how many people came to me and said, you're not really building now, are you? <laughs> I said, yeah, is there a problem? Would well, you know what's going on in the world? Yeah, do you know what's going on in heaven? <laughs> Why are you building now? Because God said so. Don't you know what's going on? Take it up with him. It's his big idea. It's not my idea. It's his idea. You know, take it up with him. I talked to the board. We sat in a board meeting. We talked about all these things. I said, listen, I know it doesn't even seem logical, but you know, this this thing about God, he's not logical. <laughs> it's not my fault. He's not logical. <laughs> okay? I, there's a thousand things I could share with you right now, but the fact of the matter is, is that there came a point where I, I, just, I just started, and this is huge, and I'm going to talk to you about this. There's a place where you just have enough confidence that God's moving in your life, you're hearing God, and you're coming into agreement with Him. If you can agree with God, you win. Because <laughs> God's never wrong. And that's a big deal. We gotta start. Can I say this? We start to start thinking from heaven's perspective. If we can think, and that's what Colossians 3 starts out with, he really says start thinking God's thoughts. Think what God thinks about you. I'm going to talk to you real straight. Mel's sitting back here, and I love this girl. She's just amazing. So you'll see her playing on different worship teams. And, and, and she's, sometimes she's playing a bass guitar, and sometimes she's playing another guitar, and sometimes she's playing drums, and God's just developing her. And she's, it's just fun to watch. And Jesus just shines in her. I don't know if you were here Saturday night. You were messed up Saturday night. I loved that. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit just got all over her. And, and so she just kneels down and just puts her guitar down. And I saw her guitar laying there, and she was kneeling. And, and then I, I, was, I was on my face before the Lord, and I got back up, and I looked, and the guitar's there, and Mel's gone. And I thought, partial rapture was right. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was that whole partial rapture theory or something, you know, like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm next. Come on. Okay. <laughs> in the, in the, in the, the reason I say that, I can remember when she got her first guitar. 
And she wasn't so sure about herself. And she would only stand and look over her dad's shoulder. He's on the camera in the back. And he, he'd play the piano and she played behind him. And it was bass then, wasn't it? And she'd just play and she'd look over his shoulder and, and, and stay real close to dad. And you just watch now. You know what's happening? She's starting to believe in herself. That's a huge thing. And as the more I can believe in me, the bigger the picture is going to grow. Do you understand when I say that? The more you start to believe in you, the bigger the picture is going to go. I'm telling you, God wants to do amazing things. I promise you, he's up to something amazing in your life. And here's the deal. You just got to decide, what are you going after? What are you going to pursue? Can you look in the mirror and say, I am amazing. Because there's an amazing God that lives inside of me. That's huge. Can I look in the mirror and say, Jesus loves me. I know he does. I'm going to love me too. That's a big challenge right there. I don't think loving God is a challenge in the body of Christ, but I think receiving God's love is. Believing that God loves me. Actually believing and receiving the love of the Father. I'm going to share this with you. Here's a revelation. Go to, let's go there. Let's go to Revelations because we'll get a revelation. <laughs> Yeah, Revelations chapter 2. All right, start at the very beginning. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works, and your labor, and your patience, how you can't bear them which are evil. You've tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you found them liars. You've borne and had patience, and for my name's sake have labored and have not fainted. Sounds good, doesn't it? So, man, you are on the right track. Watch what he says. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. I've been reading that for years, and I thought, wow, they walked away from God. You've left your first love. You don't have the passion for God that you had before. And one day the Lord spoke to my heart about that. Let me tell you what he said. He said, don't ever leave your first love. I said, okay. And I felt like he meant stay in love with him. And then he dropped this scripture in my heart. Not because we first loved him, but because he first loved us. What was the first love? His love for us. What I felt God was speaking to my heart through that verse was, don't ever stop receiving the love of the Father. Don't ever get to a point where you won't let me love you. Don't ever get to a point where your heart gets hard and you won't receive my love. Don't ever get to a point where you feel like you're not worthy of my love. Don't ever get to a point where you feel like you can't be loved by me. Do you understand what I just said? When I read this verse, so then because thou hast left thy first love, I really believe it was talking more about receiving the love of God than it was me loving him. I think one of the greatest challenges in the body of Christ is that we don't receive the love of God. We have got to be the recipients of his love. We've got to allow him to love us. And sometimes, you know what it is? It's my mindset that keeps me away. It's never my heart, it's my head. It's my head that keeps me from receiving the love of God. Because God wants to love me, and with my heart, I want to receive his love. But sometimes in my head, I get this thing that I'm not worthy, and I'm not good enough, and why would he love me? And, and there's a thousand thoughts. And I'm going to tell you something. As the senior pastor of a pretty incredible church, there's days whenever I fight that same battle. It's like, God, what am I doing here? How can you use me? And all those other kind of things. And I've just got to rebuke that and realize, God, you love me. That's why I'm going to let you just love me. Because if I can let him love me, then I have the ability to love you. 
On the day that I stop receiving His love, it's going to challenge me to love you. Especially some of you. No, never mind. Okay, I'm just messing with you. Okay, but here's where we're at, and we've got to get this, and it's a really important thing. It's that I keep letting Him love me. But Pastor, what if I mess up? Did He stop loving you because you messed up? I sure hope not. Can I tell you something? God doesn't have love. He is love. Do you understand what I just said? If you have something, you can run out of it. If you are something, it's forever. God doesn't have love. God is love. Man, don't miss that. That's a big word right there. He is love, and he loves you, and that's never, ever going to change. So here's, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And I want you to see this because I think it's pretty amazing. But the fact of the matter is when I read this, I have to see myself the way God sees me. God sees me as holy and blameless and unreproachable. That's just amazing to me, unreprovable, okay? So I'm receiving his love. Those kind of things are just dropping into my heart, okay? I'm not what I was. I'm what I am. I need to embrace the fullness of this new creation reality. See, one of the things that becomes really, really important for every one of us is that we learn what this thing looks like as we walk it out. I want you to understand you can have all the head knowledge in the world and be an absolute mess, how do you know? I've pastored them. <laughs> it's not about how many scriptures you can quote. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you live. It's about really walking this thing out and being real with this thing. So then, because you've left your first love, that to me is an amazing reality. God, teach us what this looks like. I so want to. I so want to model this to a generation that's coming behind us. There's so much of me that I, I, I just, my mind's going about 37 different places, but I read this. So then, because you have left your first love, don't ever leave that. Don't ever miss that. I just really believe that God's calling the church to a place where we, where we stand up and actually be the body of Christ. Yes. Who remembers the old program called To Tell the Truth? Y'all remember To Tell the Truth? He had a panel. There was a panel of judges. I think there was four judges that sat over here, but three people came out all professing to be the same person. Y'all remember that? So that if the person's name was Bill McDonald, the first one came and he introduced himself, my name's Bill McDonald. And then he'd tell something about his story. Then the next one come out and say, I'm Bill McDonald. He'd tell his story. And the next one come out and say, Bill McDonald. Tell the same story. Now, how many know only one of them was the real Bill McDonald? But the other two were trying to fool the panel because for everybody on the panel that they could fool, they gained money. Y'all remember that? Right? And they all pretended to be the real deal, but only one of them was. And at the end, what'd they say? Will the real Bill McDonald please stand up? I believe that the world is actually saying, will the real body of Christ please stand up? Because there's been a lot of imposters out there. That's a good word right there. There's been a lot of imposters out there. I'm going to tell you something. The only way the real body of Christ can stand up is when the real you stands up. Because you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Does it say that? It's in the book. Watch this. This is so huge. The real you has to stand up. You've got to be real. This thing has got to be, and it will never be real if it's only in your head. This thing's got to so penetrate your heart that it becomes the natural response of your everyday life. Remember that I said when we first started out this morning about selling out and just actually going after God and being really real with this thing? We've got to sell out and go after God. We've got to be determined in our heart. If this thing's real, I'm going to pour everything into it. If it's not, I'm going another lifestyle. 
Does that make sense? I told you a while ago, I'm all or nothing, man. I'm just convinced it's the real deal. I'm going all. I believe you're here today because you're convinced it's the real deal. And I just, just, I can't encourage you enough. Sell out, man. Remember, remember Jesus tells the parable of a, a, a man who found a field, and in the field he found a pearl. And this is an amazing pearl. So what's it say about that pearl? Sold everything he had to get the field. Why? Not because of the field, because of the pearl that's in the field. It was the pearl of great price. Remember that? What was he saying? He said, man, if you find this thing, sell out and go after it. It's not about everything else. It's about this. It's about this thing being so very, very real. I had lunch with some folks yesterday, and they were telling me about a very close friend. I'll go on, and I'll tell you this much of the story. Their friend went to a, a pretty formal church, and his wife would come once in a while. And then he got into another place, and I'm telling you, his bell got rung. <laughs> he got whacked by the Holy Ghost. And I mean, it got real for him. And he got incredibly excited about Jesus. And he started pursuing God. And the other day when he went to go to church, his wife said to him, are you going to that church again? And he said, yeah, I am. And she said, if you do, I'm leaving you. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? He's called a lover. Do you understand the challenge that's in front of him? Wife and two kids. Do you catch what I'm saying? There's some real challenges here. Can I pursue God and not do that? Do I keep doing that and trust that God will deal with her heart? There's a thousand different thoughts, man. And unless you're in that situation, you really can't respond to what you would do. You got an idea? Because my first thought would be exactly what yours was. See you later. I'll miss you. I'm going after God. Okay, but there's a part of me that's called by God to love her. There's a part of me that's called to embrace her and bring her along. I don't want to run without her. We're in covenant. What are we going to do with this? How's this going to look? Yet there's another part of me that says, I'll obey God and not man. What do I do with that? And if God's moving me in this direction, can I leave her behind? Can I, or, or, or can I allow her to stop me? And how do we deal with all those kind of things? Do you understand what I just said? There's a perplexing thing in front of you. And there's not a simple answer. But there's a place inside every one of us that says no matter what you think or no matter what you think or no matter what they think, I'm pursuing God because I'm driven. And there's something inside of me that just says, God, I want more. But I want to be able to love her. How do I love her into the kingdom but not compromise what I believe God's speaking to my heart? Do you understand what I just said? That's challenging, isn't it? I bet your head's spinning. Imagine his shoes, because I know what he told her, and he went to church. But there's a place, and I just want to speak to you real clear. We pursue God, but we continue to always love people. Don't ever miss that. The greatest ability that you have in your life to impact your world is love. It has to be. Come on, faith doesn't even work without it. Y'all where I'm at? Go to Colossians 2. Let me show you something. I just got 37 thoughts in my head right now. <laughs> Let me go to about verse... Nah, I can't. 
Let me start with 12. Buried with him in baptism, you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Okay? And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Right? We're talking about complete redemption here. Have you studied the word redemption? Has Dan talked a lot about the word redemption at all? To be brought back to original value? So you have talked about that some. Okay. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Okay? Let me stop right there, and I'm going to lay this out for you real quick, and then we're going to drop down through a couple more verses, and I think we'll be good for the day. But I want to show you this because it's really, really strong in my heart. I'm buried with him in baptism, so I'm raised to a newness of life. The old me is dead, right? Remember that I said, he wasn't out to change me, he was out to kill me. You've you got to get that. He doesn't want to change you, he wants to kill you, <laughs> okay? That'd be a neat word to take out on the street. Come here, God wants to kill you, okay? <laughs> okay, okay, you know what I mean? Yeah. So he can make you brand new, okay? <laughs> they may not get that, you get that, okay? But here's where we're at, and follow this, because I think it's pretty cool. So he says, I'm buried with him in baptism. I'm raised to newness of life, and I'm standing in complete redemption. Please understand that a redemption says, I'm brand new. I'm brought back to my original value. Now he took everything that was against me, and he put it on the cross. He nailed it to the cross, and now it's not against me anymore. I don't know if everybody gets that or not, but that's really, really strong. And then he says something that's so powerful, okay? He says he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Okay? So we understand where we stand. We're on the winning side. We're, we're, we're standing with him. And then there's triumph and all that. And I, boy, I could take you a long way through that. Let me show you the next thing. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or drink or respect of a holy day or new moon or Sabbath days, which are just a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. Okay? So it's not about, can I say this? It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. But who we are will change the what we do. I don't ever want you to get confused on this. We teach a lot and we say this, it's not about your works. It's not about doing, it's about being. Right? And we say that a lot. But understand that because of my being, the works are going to follow. The works are going. James said, your faith without works is dead being alone. The works are going to be the natural byproduct. Because he changed me, this is what I look like now. Because he changed me, I don't look like I used to look. I, I do things different now. But the works are going to follow. It's a natural response to what was done in my life. I've watched people get confused on that, and it, it, it hurts my heart. Because when people say, well, I don't have to do that, because it's not about works. I had a man tell me, I don't, I don't need to do daily devotions. I don't need to study my Bible. I don't want to get into a ritual. I said, you never do daily devotions for the sake of doing daily devotions. You do daily devotions because you want to know Jesus. Is there ever a day when you don't want to know Jesus? I want to know him better. So I don't do daily devotions as a mechanical thing, but there's a discipline that comes with that. And I pour myself into the Word so that I can understand him better. <laughs> 
There was a long time I read my Bible for what? So I get my next sermon. Do you understand what I just said? Now I read my Bible so I know Jesus. And I preach my sermons from knowing Him. I hope that makes sense. But you don't read just for the sake of knowledge. You don't read just for your next lesson. You don't read so you can teach. You don't read so you can, so you can share. You, you read so you can know Jesus. Because I want to know him better. I want to know his word. I want to know his plans. I want to know his will. I'm studying this thing so that I can know him better, so I can know the truth about me. Because the truth about me is revealed in the pages of this book. I want to know who I am. Because if I don't know who I am, I'm going to let somebody else tell me who I am. And I refuse to let you tell me who I am. When God tells me who I am and I need to study what he says, please hear that. Now watch. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment, ministered, and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Okay? What he just said is this. He said, don't pursue all the other things. Pursue the head. Hold to the head. Because that's the thing that makes the difference. And here's the deal. For every one of us in this building, and this is the key, and it's so strong in my heart right now, but here's the deal. Over and over, what I just said is so strong. I'm studying this book to know him. I want to know God. You know why? Because that's eternal life. How do you know? Because John chapter 17, verse 3, in the very beginning of his high priestly prayer, you know what he said? And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Do you understand that is eternal life? How do you know that's eternal life? Because Jesus said so. See, I thought eternal life meant I was going to go to heaven forever and be with Jesus one day, and that was eternal life, and I was never, ever, ever going to die. Eternal life is knowing God. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Why? Because they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Do you get it? This is eternal life. So in the process of that, as I read this and study this and understand this, this is where my heart is, and this is what I'm looking at. I, I come back to these verses, and they keep speaking to me. Okay, so he says, Wherefore, if you're dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though you're living in the world, are you subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body and not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. What he just said is, he said, man, don't just go through the sake of going through stuff to go through stuff. Don't just set up a pattern of things so that you can follow. I'll, follow, I'll, go, I'll go with this. I shared with you some of my background, Roman Catholic, right? And, and I'm not trying to be critical, so please don't hear it in any critical way. Just hear it this way. We would come to church. There was a certain liturgy that we would follow all the time. Then we would go through a ceremonialism, and, and I'm not taking away from anything. Hear what I'm saying? We'd go through certain ceremonies and everything, but my life was never changed. But then once a month on a Saturday night, I got into a box. 
Who's ever been in the box? Y'all know what I'm talking about? They called it the confessional. When you opened the little, they slid the little window. The priest slid the little window and he heard your confession through a little window. And you told him, and, and I, I mean, it's been 30 some years, right? Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. These are my sins, right? And then I would begin to tell him the sins. Now, as soon as he heard my voice, he'd say, wait a minute, let me get comfortable. We're going to be a while. Okay. <laughs> so, but in the process of that, you'd go through that, that, that whole thing and then share. And then, you know what? You got a penance that you'd have to do. And the father, the, the, the priest on the other side, side. He would give you the penance that you'd have to do. And then you have to say an act of contrition. Okay. And, and, and there's so many of those things. And I got to tell you something. If you've ever studied any of those prayers, most of them are theologically perfect. The apostles creed, the Nicene creed, the, the, the act of contrition. Oh my God, I'm heartily sorry for having offended thee. And I detest all my sins because of thy just punishment. But most of all, because they offend thee, my Lord, who art all good and deserving of all my love. I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace to sin no more and to avoid the near occasion of sin. That's a pretty good prayer. That's called the act of contrition. Any, any former Catholics here? Come on. Some of y'all, do you remember that? That's word for word quote. Now, I haven't said that for 30 years, but that was so ingrained in me, it comes naturally. Nothing wrong with that. It's theologically perfect. Watch this. I'm going to talk to you real straight. You get in there and you go through all those things. I can quote that prayer word for word. Never meant a thing to me. Do you understand what I just said? Do you understand what I just said? Please hear what I just said. Because you know how much of the body of Christ goes through service after service and prayer after prayer and song after. Some of the songs we sing in this house are absolutely amazing, almost make me cry. And I'm sitting there moved in my heart. And I look back and there's people up there and they're counting how many squares are on the ceiling. <laughs> Come on. You know it's true. There's people that know how many brown blocks and how many tan blocks are on that wall. Because while we were in worship and God was moving, they were counting the bricks because they're bored. You know it's true. Come on. Do you know how many text messages are sent in a service on a Sunday morning? (laughs) Come on. You think I don't know? Come on. You got a purpose in your heart, man. What are you pursuing? Because I'm going to tell you something. You can go to Harvest Chapel School Kingdom Living. You can go through the entire series of classes and be totally unchanged at the end of it. You can have a wealth of head knowledge and be totally messed up. And you know I'm telling you the truth. How many know? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, here's where I'm at. You can get the best teaching, the best training. You can sing amazing songs. Come on. We were singing Saturday night. It's a song Pam wrote. It's an amazing song. So moves your heart. How can you not sing it? Power of God all over the place. And there's some people. Da, 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 da. And just totally in another world. Because it doesn't matter. The fact is, it's what you engage your life to. That's what those verses were just saying. It's what are you going to engage your life for? What are you going to go after? What's important to you? What do you want to pursue? Because it is entirely up to you. I can tell you this. The buffet is set. If you want to eat, eat all you want. But if you choose not to eat, they can put the best buffet in front of you. If you're on a fast, you ain't eating. And there's way too many people in the body of Christ that are on a spiritual fast. That's good preaching. Because you got to determine what you want. I'm going to tell you something. We go to Ryan's, right? I am meat and potatoes. Can you tell? I am meat and potatoes. 
We go to Ryan's, I'm after the steak, I'm after the baked potatoes, I want, and, and then they got turkey and they got sausage, and, and, and I come back and my plate is steak and turkey and sausage and chicken. My wife comes back with green beans and corn and carrots, and I'm like, what is up with that? I just paid 12 bucks for a can of mixed vegetables. <laughs> come on, because Pastor Lori loves vegetables. I don't, I want the meat and potatoes. And I'm a big deal with this. If I'm spending 12 bucks, I'm getting my 12 bucks worth of meat and potatoes. <laughs> Come on, because it's there. I get to choose how much is on my plate. I'm looking for one with sideboards. Okay, <laughs> Come on, because I can get more on that one. <laughs> you get to purpose what you're going to eat there. That's why they call it all you can eat. Listen, this thing is all you can eat. It's up to you. You get to decide. But what I just read in them verses, do you understand how much of that's up to you? You get to purpose, man. It's entirely up to you. What do you want to go after? What are you going to pursue? Because I can tell you right now, you can go through 13 weeks of classes and be totally unchanged. And I know that's true. We have people that went through the first school and their life is radically changed. I'll give you this and I'm going to quit because Sue's telling me the time's up. But let me share this with you real quick. One of the young girls that was in the school and her grandpa was in the school, first school we did here. They are now in Kenya. They are faced with a ton of adversity right now. And there's, a, there's incredible warfare that's going on. I won't even get into it because I'm not allowed. But I can tell you, they're in a very precarious situation over there. And you know what's happening? How old's Kara? Does anybody know how old Kara is? Is she about 16, 17? 16, 17, right in there? Okay, maybe 18. I got to tell you something. Kara Richardson's over there. Let me tell you what's going on. There's a whole bunch of people in this group that's together. Do you know who's holding them together more than anybody? She is. And you know what she's doing? I just talked to her grandma this morning. I talked to Andrea this morning. And she said, I'm so proud of Kara. Like all these ladies are in this panic mode. And they're like, they're like fretting. And, saying, and Kara's standing up and saying, no, you don't understand. God's with us. And if God's with us, why would we be afraid of what's coming after us? Because if God before us, who could be? And she's preaching to him. I'm like, yeah. It's just exciting to me. It's the fruit of what's going on. Why? Transformed lives. It's up to you whether or not your life gets transformed. Because you can sit through this class. And be a total mess at the end of 13 weeks. To the place where you are no more different than you were when you came. Do you understand what I just said? Come on. You got a purpose in your own life, man. Yeah. It's a good day to get messed up. It's entirely up to you. So my heart's really, really moved for this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Because this is my prayer tomorrow. And I'll tell you this. Tomorrow I'm going to talk to you. About your unconditional authority. The Holy Spirit's kind of laid that, laid that on my heart. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I'll give you, I'll give you this as, a, as just a, a laying of the groundwork. We know that Lucifer sinned. Pride got into him. Right? And he falls from heaven. It was the sin of pride. Am I right or not? Yes. All right. How did pride get in heaven? Tomorrow we talk about it. Bow your head. Yeah, it's a It's a nugget. Something the Holy Spirit gave me just a few weeks back, and I've never heard it preached on before, but I think I got it. Here's the deal. I'm praying for God to give us transformed lives, transformed hearts. David. Oh, absolutely. Let's pray for the group in Kenya, please. Thank you. Thank you for that, man. We're going to pray for Kenya. We're going to pray for the group that's over there. We're going to pray that God gives them wisdom 
the strategies from heaven. Watch this. Not a good idea, strategies from heaven. Because how many know your good idea isn't near as good as the strategy from heaven? Okay? But I believe heaven has its strategies. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that God will just give them strength, physical strength. Okay? And an understanding of how to deal with the culture there. You ready? And then we're going to pray that God will transform us. We're halfway. We're at that, this week's the halfway point for this school. I am praying and believing for transformation for every one of you. Oh, my heart's really moved. Father, we're just going to say thank you. What an amazing day. I thank you, God, for every heart and every life, Lord, represented in this room. Right now, together as a corporate body and those that are on the internet, we are praying and believing, God, for the group that's in Kenya, that you would touch the missionaries there and use them in an amazing way. I thank you for them that are there. I pray for John and Karen. Michelle's going to be coming soon, Lord, and so many gay and John Marquis, Lord, that are there. And God, I'm just asking you to move in a special manner for every one of them. God, that you would give them wisdom, open Open up to them the strategies of heaven and help them to see your plans and your purposes. They are there with reason. They are there with purpose. They are there, God. It's a destiny that you've placed upon their life. And I just pray a covering over them. Let the angel of the Lord encamp round about every one of them. God, that you would keep them safe. Father, that you would help them as they move forward. And God, that they would bring the kingdom of heaven to Kenya in an amazing way. And God, the hearts would be open and receptive to them. And God, all opposition that's come against them must cease in Jesus' name. And I just pray, God, right now for an encounter from heaven. God, that you would just move on every heart and every life. And Father, we bless them right now and we thank you for them. And just pray your strength and your grace upon their lives and upon their hearts. So we hold them up before you and we say thank you, Father, for meeting them there in a very special way. I pray now for every student in the building and on the internet. God, that you would just move upon the hearts and lives of each one. Holy Spirit, just come in an amazing way. God, as we reach the halfway point in our school, I'm asking God that our lives would be transformed. That there would be something jumping so inside of us that we can't sit still. And God, we'll just have this craving, this desire. I've got to have more. I need more. I want more. Make me toast, God. Mess me up in a major way in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for what you're doing. And I'm convinced, God, that you want to transform hearts, transform lives. So open up our minds, open up the avenues of our hearts, and let us receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for hanging with us today. Bless you guys.